This is a reminder to all the cool kids out there to get home before this evening's stream of the 250 Podcast, which is streaming live after this evening's broadcast of Halloween. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always, my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Ah, sure, I'm doing only mighty, Darren. Um, how about your own good sense? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, given that it is only ten more days till Halloween, 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 ten more days till Halloween, <laughs> silver shamrock. <laughs> we are, uh, as you may have guessed from that intro, we are talking about Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Tommy Lee Wallace's third entry in the Halloween franchise. You know, you know. Ah, sure, Bigosh and Bigara. Um, and joining us for this episode, as for the entire season, covering the 13 episodes in the Halloween franchise, the fantastic Joey Kyo. Konosatoa to Joey. Or is that too authentically Irish? Um, sure, I don't know anything about Halloween at all. Sure, I don't know why that giant piece of Stonehenge is here. <laughs> you won't believe how we got it here. Sure, isn't it grand? Isn't Halloween grand? And therefore the the script doesn't have to explain it because I can just no, be coy. No. Um, you say that like it's a bad thing. Whatever, we'll get into yeah. it. <laughs> we, 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 we get it. Oh, oh, Kira, th- we've already recorded two episodes, and there is already a f- split in or schism in the podcast over <laughs> Halloween three. We, but we are, all, all we had to do was pretend we were building a motorway. Would you believe oh, it? Sure. <laughs> Isn't it great <laughs> what we can get away with? <laughs> um, but yes, you've you've already heard uh, two fantastic guests joining us from this for this Sunday presents. First of all, the fantastic Kira Maloney. How are you, Kira? I'm good. Yeah. Happy, happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> and the wonderful Dean Buckley, how are you, Dean? I'm happy now that I'm uh, doing something I enjoy, talking about films. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I have you down the schedule to talk about Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey at some point in the future. Um, no! <laughs> <laughs> But not again. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so Stop I think to, to start with, <laughs> to start with, I think with the two of you guys, we are maybe dealing with two different levels of experience when it comes to slasher movies. I think that is perhaps fair to say. Correct. Kira, I th- nailed it. I think from, <laughs> now the key is I don't know which level of experience which is. This is Russian roulette. <laughs> but. Now, Kira, I think from our past conversations, you, you've expressed an interest in slasher franchises. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween. Do you have a relationship with the Halloween franchise in particular, with Michael Myers, who we're not going to talk about at all today? <laughs> and do you remember, have you seen the entire franchise? Do you remember watching the entire franchise? And do you have any thoughts? I have not seen the entire Halloween franchise. And when I when I was getting ready for this, I was like, oh, I haven't actually seen that many Halloween movies. And then I started counting them up and I was like, Jesus, I've seen so many Halloween. There's too many <laughs> Halloween movies. Um, the, the thing about Michael Myers is what's compelling about Michael Myers is that he has no motivation and that's very difficult to do uh, repeatedly. <laughs> Unlike, uh- like, like Jason Voorhees of Friday the 13th fame, is has got such pathos. <laughs> like he's <laughs> he's been through so much. He's my favorite boy, and also and he doesn't show up until the second movie yeah. as well. So you got anticipation. He's got a he's got a hype woman. You know, very true, very true. You see, one of the things about the Friday the Thirteenth franchise that distinguishes it from the Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street movies is that it does not begin with um a good movie like. 
No, it does. It does begin with a good movie. It does begin with a good movie, but it is a movie that, from there is no like sincere artistic impulse that began the franchise. Mm-hmm. It right from the start, it was trying to capitalize off something that come before, which mm-hmm. means that you you don't have the sequel problem because all the movies are at the same level of like uh, heartfeltness. <laughs> yeah, they're all equally cynical. <laughs> yes, exactly. But Halloween, like the first Halloween movie, is perfect, and um, the the thing. But the thing about it is, is Michael Myers. He he doesn't have the pathos of of a Jason Voorhees, and not only that, he has no adventures. He doesn't go to space. He doesn't go to Manhattan. Well, like you. Well, that's the thing is Jason went to Jason's. That, been, he doesn't go to the hood, <laughs> <laughs> like Leprechaun. But like Jason's been to Manhattan. He's been to hell. He's been to space. And Michael Myers has never left his hometown. In three timelines. In yeah. three separate timelines. <laughs> to be fair. He hasn't left his hometown. He has left and then come back. It is the night he came home. Arguably four, if you consider... Since three, since four ignores two, arguably four yeah. timelines, now that yeah. I think about it. I, I just... The, the Red Letter Media guys once said that Michael Myers should go to Vegas. And I very strongly <laughs> believe that. That's that's the one thing I believe in the world. That's your pitch. Um, that's your Halloween 14 pitch. Well, my Halloween 14 pitch is let's finally make Friday the 13th part 14, part 13. Because yeah. they've been waiting yeah. and it's they they need it. They just got to get it right. That's the one that has artistic integrity, Kira. That's why it's taking so long. No, I don't want them to have... Arti- I, I, to be clear for everyone listening at home, when I said the Friday the 13th movies don't have artistic integrity, that was not a complaint. Yeah, yeah. All right. I, I, my pitch for Halloween 14 is Mike Myers versus Michael Myers. Yes. That's that's how you get people into cinemas, tapping into the nostalgic market. But I, Dean... I oh, think... Sorry. I think the way to do it is to make it like a multimedia experience <laughs> where, 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 where the, mo- the movie isn't complete if you don't like buy the toys. Um, you, know, the, you have to you have to watch something on Fortnite and um, like, large sections of backstory should only be available in the comic books. Yeah, yeah that, that's what we're aiming for. There should be a website with one of those like uh alternate reality puzzle things (laughs) and you only get the ending of the film there yeah uh so dean what's your awareness of the halloween franchise and your relationship to michael myers i feel like i'm jason clark in oppenheimer like what is your relationship (laughs) to michael myers man you love oppenheimer i do love Oppenheimer. of course i love Oppenheimer. it's a great film (laughs) yeah you should write a book about nolan or something i i I should (laughs) Uh, uh, preposterously, the first Halloween movie I saw was H2O 20 years later, and the second I saw was Rob Zombie's Halloween, both when I was I was young, and me and my cousin would stay up late watching like the kind of movies you could get on television in Ireland in the early 2000s. And then last year, for our podcast, uh, The Sunday Presents Kira... Had me watch available on all good podcast platforms <laughs> and in the show notes. Kira had me watch the original Halloween for our Halloween episode, and uh, now I've watched Halloween three, and that's my entire relationship <laughs> with the Halloween series. 
I'm gonna. I'm doing a a, a a horror sequels thing as my like Halloween film project or whatever this year, and I'm gonna watch both Halloweens too. So then I'll be up to six, which is still like less than half of the yeah. films in this franchise. <laughs> you can watch along with us. We'll we'll assign homework. Um, but <laughs> I want to ask just before we jump in. Andrew has come to this podcast relatively blind. I believe the before we be embarked on this odyssey, Andrew had only watched the first Halloween, and so was blissfully innocent uh, about where the franchise was going and yeah, the quality. And and fairly recently too. Like yeah. the, I think I said twenty seventeen was my guess. When I first saw um, Halloween. Like you were preparing for Halloween 2018 and then just didn't go. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right decision. Um, but you will find... No, that... Halloween 2018 was seemed... It, well, it seemed fine at the time, but subsequent events made me doubt that impression. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah, we've, we've discovered on this podcast that nobody likes the same Halloween sequels, which is great. Um but Andrew, did you have any sense going into Halloween 3 Season of the Witch that it was going to be what might be termed an unconventional sequel? Um, from from our recording of Halloween 2, um, I did get that sense. Um, I had some kind of preparation. And and I, I think um, as well what also maybe hinted something to me about this film was um, the title of the Ford film. Which is very much the we're sorry, it won't happen again, we promise. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I think, well, the good thing is that we haven't really revealed anything. No. Because when Darren says something, it could be that he's he's being sincere. Or it could be like, or it could be his irony hammer, or <laughs> like, uh, who we won't be speaking about, I'm sure, at all today. <laughs> but um, are we considering that a spoiler? Then okay, we are considering that. A spoiler. I, I don't, I like, I guess. I mean, it, it's it, like is spoiling something that won't happen. I guess. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> they, um, I mean, should it be? Should we? Should we warn people? Probably people watching this movie who would have liked to have known. <laughs> yeah, that, but that's it. Okay, so like, if you want, like, if you want to go in completely blind to Halloween three season of the witch, just watch it now. Basically, completely blind. Yeah, we're not obviously going to talk about the ending or anything like that. But just right. if you want to experience it the way that most audiences in 1982 would have experienced it, mm. just pause the podcast, mm. go watch it. It's 92 minutes long, and then come back and. We'll talk about it. Warning zone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Joey, do you remember the first time you saw Halloween 3 and what context you saw it in? So did you know that this was a different movie going into it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I watched it recently enough on film four and I watched it because everyone was raving about how amazing it was. And I just thought it was the worst thing ever. Oh my god. And I was like, well, there you go. I've watched them all completely out of order. Funnily enough, Dean, the first one I saw was also Halloween H2O. <laughs> I saw that at a sleepover. And I was like, this is terrifying! <laughs> I, um, 
But Kira, do you remember the first time you saw Halloween 3? And did you know from the outset that this was a different sequel, that it was going to be a different continuity? Or were you just like, no, the knifey man's back? I, I knew that it wasn't. I, I, I was familiar with the extremely complex Halloween timeline. Um, I believe there will be diagrams in the show notes. I, I oh. believe there's there's a diagram on the Wikipedia page, um, which I have consulted. But I I'm trying to remember when I first watched it. And I don't remember. <laughs> I remember when you first watched it. Oh, you? didn't oh. you do? Didn't you do uh, for that season of the witch thing? That um... oh yes, yeah, we did. So the first time me and my friend attempted to do like a film season thing, um, we did a really bad job because because we like way overprogrammed it, um, and it was this it was, was like Gene Hackman January, was it that sort of thing? Is that the festival yeah. I'm thinking of? Yes, but in this case it was well hack hack manuary you got you gotta run it otherwise it doesn't work anyway um, but, uh, but the first one we did was season of the witch and we opened with george romero's season of the witch and ended with halloween three season of the witch and watched all witch movies but th- there were too many yeah it's is there like, a um, George Romero's Season of the a, Witch? Is there a Nicolas Cage movie? It's called Season of the Witch? Yeah. Or what is I'm it not... called? What? Vampire's it's where... Kiss? <laughs> it's a it's a it's a it's a film set in like the Middle Ages or something. Yeah, like that. there is yeah, that film does exist with one of you know one Yeah. Nick Cage did a, like a cluster of fantasy films around the two thousand early two thousand tens, that and the the spooks the Spooks Apprentice or whatever. Uh, All like shot that. in Eastern Europe for like using using dentist money. Yeah. The, yeah. This one was filmed in Transnistria and it was the premise that like the persecution of of women thinking they were witches. Actually, they were witches. Yeah, that is. I remember that one. She's in a cage for most of the movies and the big twist is she's yeah. actually a witch. Like, it's like, yes, you're thinking exactly. this is a horrific injustice. It's misogyny. And it's like, no, no, you would be wrong no. to think that. Um, the men were right all along is the moral of the story. Or just um, like cautious. Like, why take the chance? Yeah. <laughs> but, Dean, do you remember the first time you saw Season of the Witch? And do you remember... <laughs> What, was it Yesterday? all of three hours ago? No, yeah. no mon- Monday. Like, <laughs> nice. I'm a professional. <laughs> like three days ago. Yeah, I, I I did know the big difference between <laughs> Halloween 3 and the rest of the franchise. <laughs> Kira asked me if I knew, and I was like, how, how do you think I know, Kira? Like, <laughs> nobody in my life talks about the Halloween franchise as much as you. <laughs> um... um. All right, so we should... And, Feel and, called out. <laughs> and to be clear, this is why I asked both of you on for this, because I knew Kira was a Halloween expert, and I was like, I can only ask Dean in good conscience to watch one of these movies. So it's either going to be Halloween 1978 or Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. All right, so just very quickly in terms of context, uh, we mentioned Halloween 2, written over a long night by John Carpenter with a six-pack. Production did not go as planned, had to do reshoots on it, not very happy with it. The movie ends with, like, both Michael Myers and um, Donald Pleasance's Loomis burnt to a crisp in a giant flaming inferno in a way that very quickly signals, okay, we're done with that. Now, you might think, Darren is telling you a spoiler, that you're listening to that and you're thinking, well, they're gone. They're not coming back. 
maybe that's a spoiler. Maybe it's not, but it's just how that movie ended. I don't know. <laughs> but basically, Carpenter comes up with the idea of, okay, let's do a sequel. And this time, let's actually do something I would be interested in doing. Let's use the Halloween brand as an excuse for an anthology film. And let's try something that has nothing to do with slashing, nothing to do with Michael Myers. That's all played out. As I like listed last time, I spent six minutes listing all of the slasher movies released between 1978 and 1981. And I have them here and I'm about to do it again, but I won't. <laughs> but... Car- but it was so good, Darren. We really enjoyed it. It was, it was peak it was podcasting. Um, I recorded it so it could lull me to sleep. <laughs> yeah. That's it. The gentle, soothing sound of Darren uh, talking about John Huston's failed... Terror train. Yeah. New Year's Evil. <laughs> <laughs> it was like... Um, la- la- last night, I think I, I said... I sent, like, Greg Turkington um, talking to um, Tim Heidecker saying there, there there's really been no big franchise movies this year and then he lists all the franchises that didn't have movies this summer <laughs> including <laughs> parkies um yeah, yeah. When, <laughs> <laughs> like when you think of when you, when you think of like, like no jurassic franchise. park movie this year no no big franchises no no <laughs> no harry potter film this year <laughs> but again he just goes on for like two minutes um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, basically so they, they reach out they have a number of ideas basically Carpenter again is stepping into the role of producer he's off he's making his own movies at this point he's working on he do, he directs The Thing which comes out this year so that's kind of keeping him just a little bit busy uh, he reaches out to Joe Dante and again we've talked about this before Dante was also supposed to direct the third Jaws movie which was supposed to be titled Jaws 3 People Nil which is one of the great titles in lost movie cinema history. Didn't John Hughes write that? I don't know if he wrote it, but Dante was, I think, supposed to direct it in The Style of Piranha. No, John John Hughes. Jaws Tree! I'm, I'm sure I'd... Hold on, I'll look it up. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, but I thought Joe Dante direct was meant to direct it, right? Yeah, he definitely was. They just mentioned that in the in the yeah I, I, in the shark exploitation doc. I'm 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 not I'm not at all questioning that Joe Dante was meant to direct it. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, I was merely. It's fine. No, no. Hold on, sorry. Um, well, now we have to go to the fact machine. It's actually good to check. Hold on two seconds. Sorry about this. Joe's three people nil. Uh, it was re- pitched by David Brown and Richard Zanuck, apparently. Um, yes, it was uh, commissioned a, a National Lampoon writers John Hughes and Todd Carroll for a script. So, yes. Yeah. John I, Hughes I, was, yeah. was attached. Yep, yeah, good call. Oh. Uh, oh. Sorry. <laughs> so, basically, don't. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say that uh, Jaws Three People Nil is is um, um, actually um, like a, a, a it's it's like a difficult scoreline. It's more precarious than um, than <laughs> sorry. Then it suggests. Uh, um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jaws, Jaws can't can't become complacent at Three Nil. <laughs> <laughs> um. Um, um, okay, so. Dante is is approached by Carpenter to direct this movie. Uh, he suggests uh, approaching Nigel Neal, who is the famous British writer responsible for Quatermass. Uh, like, again, lots of great classic British television. Carpenter is, like, as we mentioned this podcast before, a huge fan of kind of 50 science fiction. Obviously, he's adapting the thing from another world at this moment in time. Obviously, Janet Lee popped up in The Fog, Ernest Borgnine in Escape from New York. Big fan of this sort of thing. So he reaches out to Nigel Neal and he's like, look... 
would you like to come and write a movie to release around Halloween? And apparently the only caveat that Nigel Neal was given was by Deborah Hill, which said the film should bring, and I quote, witchcraft into the computer age. Huh. <laughs> uh, and I think Nigel Neal sort of accomplishes that. Now, Dante drops out of directing it. He apparently opts to direct a segment of the Twilight Zone movie, uh, which is releasing the following year, because that is a much more concrete uh, offer that was made to him. And obviously that's a Spielberg project. And at the time, that looks like it's going to be the biggest thing in the history of cinema. Obviously, it goes very different directions. We've talked about it before. We talked about it in our, our uh, Indiana summer season. But uh, basically, he drops out. So... Carpenter turns to Tommy Lee Wallace, who we've talked about before. He was the editor on the original Halloween. He passed on the script to Halloween 2, which is kind of incredible. He looked at the script that his friend John Carpenter had written and was like, no, I, I don't think I'll be directing that. Um, but apparently when he saw the script that Nigel Neal had written for Halloween 3, he was like, yeah, count me in. Now, we should note, by the way. Apparently working with Nigel Neal, not an easy experience for anybody involved in the process. Very much a don't-meet-your-heroes attitude to this. Neal basically had meetings with uh, Carpenter. Carpenter, who is not a man who mints his words, described him as a mean character. He started making fun of Jack Arnold, the director of the original Creature from the Black Lagoon. At that point, Jack Arnold had lost a leg, and Nigel made fun of him for that. Terrible. Nigel thought he was above all us horror filmmakers. According to Neil himself, he said, Halloween was pretty ordinary, rough stuff. I could do better than that. And apparently that was what he set out to do. So he turns in the first draft of his script. Carpenter and Hill read it. <clears throat> They're like, it's, it's pretty good. It's a good basis for a movie. However, you're still writing from a British television sensibility. It's got a whole bunch of Freudian subtext in there. A lot of daddy stuff that we're not entirely comfortable with. Uh, would you mind maybe stripping it out and adding some, like, gore and violence and maybe a little bit of hacking and slashing? Neil, by all accounts, somewhat overreacts to this, as is Neil's style, <coughs> and decides to not only storm off the project, but insist that his name is removed from the movie, which is a, a principled act that also means that he gets no royalties from this movie whatsoever. <laughs> Carpenter hastily rewrites the movie and at the very end uh the writer tommy lee sorry the director tommy lee wallace does a polish neil doesn't want credit carpenter isn't going to take credit for something he doesn't feel like he owns so tommy lee wallace is like i tweaked a couple of lines and suddenly i'm auteur writer and director tommy lee wallace of this movie <laughs> which is great but basically it, it goes into production Brings back a lot of the cast and crew, brings back again actors who worked on the previous movies, uh, brings back um, Dean Cundy, a cinematographer, and rushes into production. And we should maybe talk about this out front. The movie is released in 1982. Critics are not particularly kind to it at the time. Fans are, let's face it, even harsher. Um... It has a fairly strong opening weekend. It only opens slightly behind Halloween 2, despite opening on a larger number of screens. But it experiences a massive drop-off in the weekends that follow. And very, very, very quickly, the, the, kind of the, the idea builds that the fans felt betrayed by the franchise. The franchise had turned their back on them. It hadn't given them what they demanded and what they expected. Indeed, 
Wallace is apparently currently working on an oral history of the movie that's called Halloween 3, Where the Hell is Michael Myers? In order to express the grand sense of audience uh, antipathy towards the movie. That's, that's a terrible name for an oral history. It's, it's hilarious, though, that nowadays they're actually being listened to. Like, back then, they were like, yeah, whatever, we don't care. But nowadays, people, th- people in power think the fans know better, and they're listening to them, and they're changing things accordingly. Well, I mean, they, they do, as, as kind of Andrew points out, it's very telling that the next three Halloween movies all have Michael Myers in the title. The Return oh, of Michael point. Myers. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, The Revenge of Michael Myers. The Curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> Michael Myers, he's definitely in this movie, we promise you. Michael Myers <laughs> is here, and he's not going anywhere, yeah. even if his head gets chopped off. Yeah. Um, Don't worry. <laughs> but yes, basically, and it has been kind of reclaimed, and it'll be interesting to maybe talk about why that has been. Um, but I'm assuming all of us have seen it in its post-reclamation glory. So, you know, I think that the point at which people would say that the kind of turn began to happen was Shout Factory released a DVD or a Blu-ray in 2012, which was remastered, high definition, looked gorgeous, garnered rave reviews from DVD Talk and Slant. Uh, IGN gave it a positive review as well. The Alamo Drafthouse, two years later, published a piece basically saying why it's much better than you've heard. Inverse in 2015, IGN in 2017 ranked it the 92nd best horror movie of all time. That same October, Decider called it an 80s horror classic. We've reached a point where it's it's almost overrated. It's almost overrated to say that this movie is underrated. <laughs> but it's undergone a frankly incredible critical rehabilitation. But like, so, Kira, did you see it in that context? Did you know that it had had this reputation and been reclaimed? Or did you go in blind? Yeah, no, I definitely knew that it was hated when it came out and that people now think that it's good. Um, and I... I mean, as a big fan of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, that sounds good to me. <laughs> um, I'm waiting for people to start reclaiming Friday the 13th, The New Beginning, but I'm the only one on, on that train. Ooh, um, that's... People are like, oh, it doesn't have Jason Voorhees in it. It's got a guy in a hockey mask slashing people with a machete. Why does it matter that it's not Jason? What? <laughs> I I get the sense yeah, this is something we'll the, talk about when we get to Halloween ends. But sorry, Andrew. <laughs> it's the Jason Voorhees and all of us. Like, that's yeah. the message, is it? Of the, um, Inside us, two hockey masks wrestle. Um, <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even get the hockey mask until the third one. We can all be the man behind <laughs> the mask. Yeah, if we try hard enough, and we really believe in ourselves. All right. So, Dean, do you think Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? No. No. <laughs> All right. Kira, same question. I, I love Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, but obviously it shouldn't be in a list of the 250 best films ever made. 250 is not that many. <laughs> and... Uh, I've I I feel like you you got two Halloween movies on there, Max. All right, what's the second Halloween movie that's on there? Rob Zombie's Halloween Two, of course. Nice. Okay, this is a rec- I like this recurring motif. We are hyping up Rob Zombie's Halloween. Two. It's a big <laughs> recurring motif is everybody's like, we need to reappraise that movie. That's next on the list. Okay, it better be made by. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 
I don't believe that I could like a Rob Zombie <laughs> Halloween. Halloween movie. Give him a chance. But, it's it's very experimental. Yeah, no, I I I, I well, want Andrew, to give it. Yeah, I there were, there were things I liked about the uh, about in that movie that we have not watched yet. About the movie that yeah, Andrew, we haven't got there yet. That's two thousand and seven. Come that on, that we that we have not watched yet. Um, <laughs> but um, just from looking oh, at the DVD spoilers. cover. I just sense that the, the you know the sensibility might be off for me. <laughs> and that's my Joey. Do you think Halloween Three: Season of the Witch belongs on a list of the two hundred fifty greatest movies ever made? No, it doesn't belong on a list of the two hundred fifty greatest horror movies ever made. Take either. that, IGN. Um, <laughs> what do they know? Fucking games website. Get out of here. <laughs> Ninety hey, seconds. Stick to your medium. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we, we I write for a video. I write for a video game website. website. Yeah. <laughs> it's not IGN though. It doesn't have game in the name. It's I smaller. Respect, yeah, it's. I respect it's... yours. <laughs> if you'd yeah. written it, I would read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a definite no then. IG, IGN, if they're listening, there's going to be like a tug of war now between them and Escapers. <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> we need Darren Mooney. We need him. Andrew. Next transfer season. <laughs> Sorry. Andrew, do you think that Halloween 3 Season of the Witch belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? I think it is um <laughs> underrated. I and 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 I I think um even after the reappraisal? I I I like it it, it means nothing to me. <laughs> But I'm 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 not aware of this movie, um, in the way that I'm aware of other similar quality '80s beloved classics, and some that are uh, not as good as this, that are beloved classics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I I feel like this is uh, probably better than a lot of stuff. Like without being too sacrilegious, but the the. What do I? What am I confident that this is better than? I guess nothing. But but I'm, I'm going, I, su- I suspect it's better than Stripes, right? Yes, I w- I would agree with that. I would agree with that assessment. Yeah, better than Porky's too. The <laughs> next day, um, which yeah. is the Halloween wow. two of Porky's sequels. Um, Put that on better than DVD. Halloween two. Yes. I yeah. would agree with that assessment. That's my um, your scorching my, my my feeling on it. So I I think without I I've I haven't I've yet to see one Rob Zombie movie ever. It just simply hasn't happened. So I can't I can't comment on whether there there should be two. But so far, if there were to be two, um, out of the three that exist. at this point on the journey yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i i don't think i could make a case for this belonging on the 250 greatest movies ever made i do think it's a fascinating snapshot of like a world that never happened right where carpenter where carpenter was like what if and hear me out here we use an established brand to like tell interesting new stories to bring audiences into the theater to try new things broaden their horizons experiment with new genres and new concepts like i I (laughs) honestly think it's it's very telling that the reappraisal of this obviously coincides we mentioned with the blu-ray release of the movie but it also coincides with 
the two Rob Zombie movies, which are radically different takes on the concept, the long wilderness of the franchise as well, to so the point at which people are looking back over the Halloween franchise and going, what the hell was this and how do we put it in context? But also the ascent of, like, modern franchise filmmaking where everything is interconnected, where canon and continuity are now things that ordinary people are expected to understand when they talk about movies. And I think, like, one of the really interesting things reading people retroactively assessing this movie is like no it's it's actually just really it's just a really good movie it's like it's it's not necessarily what people expected from a halloween movie but it's using that brand to do something that maybe if it were its own separate you know movie with no identity or no established kind of title tied to an existing intellectual property that people would maybe consider a cult classic of course, it would also maybe have disappeared into the abyss. Like, 1982 was the year of Blade Runner and the year of The Thing. It wasn't exactly a great year for people embracing odd, mm. unusual movies that don't conform to an increasingly blockbuster IP-driven Hollywood. But I do think that, yeah, I think, like, it's interesting to imagine a world where Halloween 3 is a massive breakout success. And so the people making A Nightmare on Elm Street are like, okay, the next movie... It's going to be on Elm Street, but it's not going to be about Freddy. It's going to be about property prices. I don't know. Something like that. Um, it's, it's, ju it's just a family drama set on Elm Street. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, yeah. we, do, we do have to talk about it at some point, because every podcast we have to talk about it. Uh, is, is, is Tokyo Drift <laughs> to a critical reappraisal? I have no idea. Tokyo <laughs> Drift rules. Tokyo Drift is Tokyo Drift is so good. It's so really, good. yeah. Yeah. Where the fuck Tokyo is Dominic Toretto? <laughs> He's there at the he end. He shows up at the end. end. Really? And sets up the whole yeah. rest I love, of the I love series. <laughs> oh my god, it's the best. I love it. It's so good. It's genuinely great, and everyone knows that Andrew. It's both a great movie and also the most important Fast and Furious movie. It's the one around which the continuity of the franchise rearranged itself. It's the Saw Three. Of like Ah no. No need for that, Darren. When, but once they catch up with Tokyo Drift, the series starts to go downhill. It was it was all about working towards Tokyo Drift. And after that they're kind of drifting. Yeah. Listless. Yeah. Although Hobbs and Shaw is a masterpiece, obviously. Yes, it is. Justice for Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Vin Diesel, he stole it from us. <laughs> I, I think Andrew is pushing for a Fast and Furious season on this podcast. I have no idea. Pick me! When, Pick that, me. when that would happen. <laughs> and I love the idea of like Tokyo Drift being that Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which every guest is like, I want to do that one. Yeah. They will. They will, 100% they will. We, we should note, by the way, that like Carpenter, and again, like we, this is a great excuse to keep checking in on Carpenter. This is the last Halloween movie that has any active involvement from Carpenter until the, the uh, David Gordon Green movie in 2018, where it comes back as composer and producer. But it's fascinating that, like, we talked yesterday, or we talked during the week, about how much Carpenter hates Halloween 2. And how much every interview, whenever he's asked about it, is like, it's a bad movie, I made bad choices, I was very drunk, <laughs> and that should not exist, but I'm glad they paid me. And it's <laughs> fascinating that you go and you read interviews about Halloween 3 and Carpenter who is as we said a notoriously frank interview subject is just like no I actually really like that movie so like he's interviewed by the Hollywood Reporter recently and he says 
It started out with an idea to do a different story. See, I thought, stupidly, this shows how dumb I am. I thought that we were <laughs> done telling stories about Michael Myers and the guy in the mask. <laughs> I thought there's not much more to say. So we thought we'd come up with a new story every year. We could call it Halloween, but it doesn't have to have anything to do with Michael Myers. We approached Nigel Neal, a British screenwriter who did some great stuff to see if he had any ideas, and he did. We had the central idea for Halloween 3, so we went there. And the interviewer asked him, I watched it recently, what do you make of it? I haven't seen it in a long time, but I like the movie a lot. It's kind of a subversive movie, but very interesting. I provided a score for it. I hadn't really done that before, provide a score for a movie I didn't direct. I can't even remember writing it. I just know it exists. And then <laughs> interviewed by Vulture last year for Halloween Ends, he's like, he's asked what he thinks of the Halloween franchise. And he's like, I don't have any opinions about the Halloween franchise. And then the interviewer says, delightful. I don't think Halloween 3 gets the love it deserves. Would you be doing something else entirely if it took off? And Carpenter replies, that's correct. It didn't. But I wish it had because we could start telling other stories. People wanted to see Michael Myers once again. So there you go. The Halloween movie I love the most is the one I made back in 1978, the one I directed. The others are other people's visions. That's the way it goes. But that's what happens when you give up. I didn't want to direct sequels. I didn't think there was any story left. Boy, I was wrong, huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, which the, to which the interviewer replies, but you don't regret not being more hands-on with the series, to which Carpenter replies, hell no, they have to pay me every time they make one. <laughs> uh, love, love, love Carpenter, the interview subject, so much. But he's, he's not wrong, though, because to my mind, they don't justify doing a new Michael Myers story until Rob Zombie and then until 2018. They don't. Like, none of these sequels justify bringing him back. None of them have a strong enough story. And as much as I don't like Season of the Witch, Season of the Witch makes a case for itself without Michael Myers. And none of the other ones make a case for themselves, even with Michael Myers. I will say, watching Andrew's face in this call as he realises that he's got, what, six more weeks to go before we reach Rob Zombie's Halloween. And then <laughs> oh, another... It's going to get really good, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> I promise. Yeah. It's like watching the light die in the eyes of an android. Um... <laughs> I trust. I I trust. I trust Joey. <laughs> yeah, Not Darren, you're, Joey. you're 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 guiding me to Rob Zombie's Halloween, which which we're I gonna love. make a which you're gonna love. We're gonna make a Rob Zombie fan out of <laughs> yeah. you. You'll love House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would this be having just watched this on Monday, hot from the presses? Would this be on your own personal 250 favorite movies? No, 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 sorry. <laughs> I love that. Would you care to elaborate on that? Because the chuckle always deserves an elaboration. I'm honestly, three days later, still not sure whether I liked it or not, <laughs> or whether it's good or not, or anything, but it definitely, I don't see a universe <laughs> where I end up going, that's one of the 250 best films I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> 250 films to know me by Dean Buckley. <laughs> but Kira, what about yourself? You've had a bit longer to sit with this. Is this on your own personal 250 favorite movies? Like I said, 250 is not that big a number. And I I would feel very silly, like, you know, bumping Citizen Kane for <laughs> Halloween 3. <laughs> And I already probably have to put Friday the 13th Part 2 in there, and it's just getting embarrassing, you know? <laughs> but I mean, does um, Citizen Kane have a catchy advertising jingle? I 
know, does it? I haven't watched it in a while. I feel like it might. That does... It actually <laughs> might. That seems like a really plausible thing to, yeah. for Citizen Kane to have. He must he have a campaign song or something. Like, surely. oh, they they do. They do have the. They do have the song. They do have the jingle. You're right at the party. They actually have the song mm-hmm. and dance. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's fair. That's okay. I can't argue. <laughs> I cannot argue with Citizen Kane being better than <laughs> Halloween 3 season of the week. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but Joey, what about yourself? Would this be on your own personal 250 favorite movies? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your least favorite Halloween movie? That's a good question, Darren. <laughs> I think we're going to find out along the way. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Oh, okay. Because I... I I'm only saying that because I haven't really made my mind up yet about my ranking. Okay. Um, but because there might be one along the way that I despise, like truly, truly despise. This isn't necessarily a hard watch. It's not a particularly long movie. It does <laughs> lag considerably in the middle. Um, but I, I see, unlike Andrew, I know what's coming. So I'm like, you know, Buster Rhymes and the reality show in the house. Like that's harder to get through in a lot of ways. Okay. I, I I like whenever you're like this. Do you say do you say Buster Rhymes like, like the, <laughs> oh, we, we mentioned him last week? Yeah, don't <laughs> play <laughs> dumb, Andrew. You know his catchphrase. <laughs> you already ordered that T-shirt from Fright Rags. Andrew was like, "Ooh, <laughs> no, <laughs> yes, and, please." <laughs> during the week, Andrew declared brazenly and boldly on our episode covering Halloween Two that his favorite Halloween movie was Halloween Resurrections, despite having never seen it before. He's like, "That just feels like the right call." And I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you on that one, Andrew. Um, but, but <laughs> Andrew, um, would would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? I, I, I feel like I, 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 I might just make it interesting and yes, put it, put it, put it on there because it, it, it feels like it ticks enough boxes for me, like by the kind of criteria that, like, like it wasn't. It, uh, you know, in terms of emotions, I, th- I think it is scary. It's 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 not especially sad, but it is. You know, um, I think it's funny. I think the music is great. Yeah. It's, it's um, a terrific score. I think some some of the visuals are fantastic. I think there's some very um, creative and satisfying deaths. I like the whole concept of the 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 movie, which is odd because it came from such a kind of lazy nonsense um, kind of <laughs> half line. idea yeah. in 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 this in the second bring movie. witchcraft into the computer age. Um. <laughs> yeah. what, if, what if computer? What if witchcraft, but with computers? Um. I I think the the movie gets uh, points for pronunciation. Um, yes. Thanks, thanks, yes. Th- Finally. Thanks, of course, to O'Hurley, um, who is actually Irish. Uh, who is actually Irish? Yeah. He sounds. He sounds British sometimes, though. Was he classically trained? Is that what it is? <laughs> he he did train on the stage. He performed on the Gaiety stage, yeah. and he did work with Orson Welles. He performed in Orson Welles' Macbeth, I believe. Yeah, I, I wrote down. Why does this man sound sound Irish sometimes and British other times? <laughs> um, we, we should note, by the way, that to be clear, that was it was O'Hurley who was responsible for the correct pronunciation of Sawin. Yeah. By the way, in case anybody who listened to our Halloween <laughs> two episode, that is how you pronounce that word. It is Sawin. Um, but the the key thing was apparently Nigel Neal, who had grown up in the Isle of Man, and we we, we will talk about this. There's a lot to unpack about um, Nigel Neal's attitudes about certain ethnicities and demographics <laughs> in countries that are not necessarily Britain. But he um, 
he basically he grew, he he had written it so that at the start of the movie, and again, this is a mild spoiler, but it's, it's out of context. And so I don't consider it a spoiler, but a character is like dazed and confused and they're repeating the word Samhain to themselves. However, they're picked up by a trucker who uh, basically thinks they're a hitchhiker and they're repeating the word to themselves and they assume that the person must be called Sam Hain. Like the, um. the plot has like a, the script had like a hook that hinged on the idea of mistaking the word Samhain for the name Samuel Haim. And for <laughs> myself, um, for myself, I think maybe this is, this is to nobody's surprise, a very Darren movie in every possible way. Mm. It could be a Darren movie. It is about 80s pop culture. It is about Reaganism. It is about the end of the world. It's about American capitalism. It's about the idea of making these movies. It's a movie about making Halloween movies to the point where Halloween itself is a plot point in Halloween 3 season of The Witch. Mm. Uh, it is a movie that is made by people who have worked consistently with Carpenter. And so it has a very Carpenter-esque aesthetic. Obviously, Kundi shot Halloween too. It's it's uh, it's it's Carpenter's poltergeist. Yes. That, now, to be fair, he... How to how to phrase this very carefully? Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> the crew members have have disputed that story about Spielberg ghost directing Poltergeist for decades, but there is no evidence that Carpenter ever set foot on the set of this movie. To be clear, um, okay. but it, it it does it does <laughs> like the, you you know what I mean. You know what I mean. I, I, I know I know what you mean. Um, but apparently, it's just that Wallace had worked with Carpenter since they were students. And like he's talked about this, he said like there's a wonderful interview with Wallace where Wallace was asked, you know, how how come, how come like Rick Rosenthal, who was a first time director, had such a hard time on Halloween too, where Carpenter had to come in and take the camera off him and reshoot scenes and re-edit the movie and steal it and basically stitch it together, and how come on the other hand it seems like you had a really great time making this and Carpenter was like, I actually like this Halloween movie, <laughs> and according to Wallace, it's it's basically because he'd worked with Carpenter so much that he had absorbed kind of like knowledge. He knew how Carpenter made a movie. The pair of them had worked so long together that he knew how Carpenter would shoot scenes. He knew how Carpenter would compose shots, how he would frame shots. And he said, basically, look, I, that, that was basically it. That was the, the trick of it was um, that like he had worked with Carpenter so long, whereas Rosenthal had just come out of Harvard and was just like, I want to direct a movie. And Carpenter was like, sure. If this means I get to direct the fog, you can make Halloween too. And it was like, <laughs> Oh boy, I have made a mistake. Um, but yeah, I, I I think this this feels like a Carpenter movie. If in particular, like it reminds me a lot of like They Live, which comes later in the year. Yeah, there's a bit. Sorry, later in the eighties. Absolutely. There's a bit of the thing in here as well. Um, there's a lot of Carpenter's kind of pet themes in here as well, like just thematically, where it's like you have an isolated community, you have the idea of capitalism, you have the idea of people who aren't really people, you have the idea of something primal breaking out into the world. It does feel watching it like a lost Carpenter movie. And I'm a big Carpenter nerd. I like my Carpenter. Um, so, yeah. There's a decent chance that I saw this at a formative age on a VHS with my granddad when I was far, far too young. And it kind of imprinted on me uh, in the way that these movies do. And so it kind of stayed with me and I just have this incredible connection to it. I, I love this movie so much. So it is probably in my top 250 movies of all time. Um, although, as Kira said, I probably should be ashamed of that. I should probably <laughs> not announce that on the podcast. I, 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 I was, I wasn't trying to try to two fifty shame you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like your your own two fifty 
is is your own business. It's your it's yeah. your, freak, your freak flag. It's personal. Um, what you do in the privacy of your own list is your own business. Well, it's not to impress anyone else. Yeah. It's for you. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so I know that is yeah. that is that is my argument. And then finally, before we jump to the spoiler zone, Dean, if listeners have not seen Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? One hundred percent. 100%. No hesitation, despite the fact you're not sure how you feel about it. It is a movie you have to experience. It is an experience, definitely. <laughs> and Kira, what about yourself? Yeah, it's a good movie. Oh. And you don't have to watch any of the other Halloween movies. I was about to that ask. That is very convenient. Like, if if you haven't seen the original Halloween, you could watch this, presumably. Ooh. Yeah, but also you should <laughs> you should watch the original Halloween. But you don't need to watch Halloween too. You can skip it. All right. You can go back to it. You can fill in the gaps. There'll be a test later. Joey, what about yourself? Would you recommend listeners pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Sure, if they're curious, absolutely. <laughs> People should always watch more horror. Ringing endorsement. That's the, the DVD cover art there. If you're curious, <laughs> sure. what's the worst that could happen? Question mark. Eh, whatever. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably better than Halloween Resurrections dot dot dot. Couldn't hurt Empire. Andrew. Eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, what about yourself? Yeah, and I, 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 I would. I should probably clarify that, like, putting me saying that I think it should be on the two fifty is me making reference to some alternate universe where it is a beloved classic. <laughs> you know, it fe- it feels like it's 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 difficult to put um, like the third kind of movie from the franchise that maybe has had a critical appraisal, but that wasn't really like um, embraced. Um, at at the time, it would feel odd to put that on. And well, I suppose there's things like um. Well, the thing is on the two fifty, for um, example. Well, it's a it's a beautiful life. Is um. It, or it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. I can never <laughs> Not think. Not to be confused with life is beautiful. I can never think of what that movie is called. I don't know why. <laughs> but um. Anyway, would would I would I recommend it? Yes, yes, I would. It um. I'd agree with a lot of what Darren said. Um, but I'd also say that the effects in this are incredible. There's some there's some great kind of um, uh, gore. Um, it's a movie that means something. Um, and I think it's very well acted, probably in comparison to both the f- first two. I think there are good performances in both of those movies, but I think this movie overall is just much, much, much better acted. There, there aren't really that many bad performances in it or or like kind of wooden or like so-so performances i think i think it's it's, it's just a very good movie yeah. personally and and i would agree with that again like it, it's a carpenter thing where you're making what is effectively a b grade uh movie to an a standard mm. where you're just you're you're using just technically uh making a movie that so it should be schlock and disposable look stunning like i my hot take is that many of the Halloween movies looked better on VHS than they do in high definition. Yeah. Where, like, it's it's kind of uncanny to watch them in pristine, restored condition, as opposed to VHS with the static running down the screen and the shadows and the silhouettes. Yes, definitely. The big difference is, obviously, the first Halloween, which is a Carpenter movie and so looks gorgeous, and this one, which just, in high definition, just pops. It just looks beautiful. Um, so yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. I think it is a B-movie made to an A standard. With that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone! 
So, Kira, what is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, about for you? Uh, this movie is about John Carpenter googled Halloween and found up some stuff about it, <laughs> including how to pronounce sound and that, Irish, <laughs> and that Irish people are evil. And he didn't find this out googling Halloween, but he also was like, I gotta make a movie about how Tom Tom Atkins is the hottest guy on earth. Oh yeah, <laughs> let let's talk about this, right? Because this is not <laughs> this is not new, right? We need to put this in context. We need to do a deep dive on Carpenter's filmography because, sure, you can talk about Carpenter's obsession with Lovecraft. You talk about Carpenter's interest in New England writers. You talk about his fascination with Pacific villages. But what really ties his filmography together is his commitment in the early '80s to the idea that mustachioed divorced daddy-o Tom Atkins is irresistible to the fairer sex. Um, the Fog, right? The Fog, which is the movie he made in 1980, co-starring uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, features Tom Atkins as a guy who picks up hitchhiker Jamie Lee Curtis. She literally asks him one question, are you a weirdo? When he answers that satisfactorily, we cut to the two of them lying in bed post-coitally. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis seemingly satisfied beyond her wildest dreams. <laughs> Throughout this movie, you have him not only is he di the divorced father of two kids, he's patting a nurse on the ass and she's kind of into it. He's asking a medical examiner. Yeah. Like she's she, the medical examiner is groping him in the hallway. He's like dealing with the daughter of one of his dead patients and he's just like let's lean over and show you some love. Um like it's, it's all believable. <laughs> Like the the uh, I I far 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 prefer his inappropriate workplace flirting to like uh, Bud. Yeah, from Halloween. I too. was like, from I was Halloween like, too. oh my god, he's put his hand on her shoulder in like three consecutive shots, and then he just slaps her on the ass. <laughs> do you do you still have the and and you just try like they don't even. It's it's like placeholder dialogue. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's I find like, the placeholder gotta... dialogue in this is much better than two, though. Like even the yeah, stuff on no, on yeah, on yeah. television and all that sort of thing is 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 great. And like the that's um, like there 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 is there's um, yeah. It just feels like the dialogue is very good. Like even for minor characters, and that they deliver them well. Like the guy who's the gas kind of station like, attendant who dropped I him hope, off. I um, hope I I may have some questions for you, and and I hope to have some answers. Like you know, the 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 that guy was good, and I feel like his lines were well written and well delivered. You know that it didn't feel slapdash. To the Tom Atkins thing again, the two fifty. I love that our recurring motif is noticing like men's bodies across the history of cinema. And it does really feel like an early 80s thing that, like, the movie could be, like, Tom Atkins, sexier than Idris Elba. Like, movies today starring Idris Elba and Brad Pitt are like, this guy doesn't have half the raw sexual charisma of Tom Atkins. It's And they're right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the podcast's official position? Just to be Well, yeah, I feel like he, he's in a class with kind of, like, Tom Selleck and... I don't know who else would you put in there who uh, like mustache no disrespect uh, the mustache class <laughs> yeah, no Reynolds, just yeah. mustache, Reynolds, mustache yeah mustache. yeah I think there we go yeah exactly but but uh, the, yeah and i feel like this is um similar kind of an energy but more um more of a a a a, a rascal oh he like he is he's like um 
I could, uh, we should get a motel room together because otherwise it might be suspicious. And then he's like, I brought back some beer for fun later. Um, it's like, <laughs> it's, 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 like, he knows what he's doing. It's not like he accidentally kind of stumbles into this affair. He's like, no, I'm taking a weekend away from the ex-wife and the kids. And this is, this is what I plan. In fairness, is his ex-wife is the, like, God, I don't know how he stayed married to her. She's the worst. Well, she's I the see- worst. She's so unreasonable. He's like, he's a doctor and she's acting like he's out getting hammered all the time and stuff. And it's like, but he's a doctor. I don't. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I do I, feel uh, like he's an 80s doctor who is getting hammered all the time. But yeah, you, but you yeah. understand the distinction. Yeah. He's not, he's not a deadbeat. He's a doctor. He has a very demanding career. And this woman is written as this shrill harpy who's just like, how come you're never here? In- well, because he's a doctor. I don't. In in fairness, I I think she is right not to be married to him. Um, <laughs> yeah, she I, is. I think in the fu- in the in the fuck Mary kill. Oh, okay, okay. For Burt Reynolds, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Tom he... Tom Atkins and Tom Selleck. You marry Tom Selleck. Of course. Yeah. Um, no, um, yeah, that that's fair. We agree on oh, that. God. Yeah, yeah, and that you. And if they were brothers, if they were brothers, Atkins would very much be the Luke Hemsworth of the bunch. I think is what we're saying. The, I the, don't understand what that means. The third Hemsworth brother. What? He's the one who stars in Westworld. He's the one that you're like, oh, there's a we- there's a third West. That yeah. feels unfair. W- wait, who's the second one? If he's the third one, Liam Hemsworth, the one who was married to Molly Cyrus. Okay, uh, that's who I was thinking of. No, no, this is who Luke is Hemsworth? Luke Hemsworth? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, the Luke is kind of like uh. he's kind of square. He's kind of like Whoops. blocky would be how I would describe him. They're all that shape. <laughs> No, 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 he's... no, he's been kind of like pressed, like the weight of expectations. The other two are car from Marvel and he's made from Mala. Like it's completely different. Okay, Luke. <laughs> I have never seen this person before. <laughs> exactly. That is my point. Exactly. <laughs> no, he, yeah, he, he's that's... not. He's not very good. He played Thor in the stage play in Thor Ragnarok and in uh, Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder. The the one with Matt Damon in it? Yes. Yeah. I, I, Easy um, to have your eye drawn to Matt Damon and just <laughs> not notice Luke Hemsworth in that scene, I have um, to say. But yeah, sorry. So, so If people, can I just say, if people are upset that I put Burt Reynolds like by default <laughs> in, in, in the kill category, it's because of all his chicanery and striptease. Um, I, I, I feel like that's uh, that, yeah. Plus, I need to kill one of them. Yeah, <laughs> I like the idea that Andrew's proposing an alternate game. It's called Fuck Marry Fuck. Um, <laughs> we, it took us seven, seven Chucky movies to reach that point, but we got here in three Halloween movies. Thank you very much. Sorry, sorry, Dean. Were you saying something about Tom Atkins? I, I, I just dissed him by comparing him to Luke Hemsworth, that was all. That's fair. Um, we should oh, note, by the way, his his ex-wife is played by Nancy Keys, who also played the role of Nurse Chambers in the previous two Halloween movies, which is a nice little carryover. I do She's like the- also an ex, ex-wife to Tommy Lee Wallace, right? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Tommy, I, I couldn't, I desperately searched to find when Tommy Lee Wallace and Nancy Keys divorced to figure out whether he casts her as the nagging divorced wife 
in before or after they divorced, but I couldn't find any information. So, like, is this Dak Shepard directing Christian Bale in Chips, or is it, like, Guy Ritchie directing Madonna and Swept Away? Like, where do we put this in the context of the wider relationship kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. And I'll say in her, in her defense, like, she's trying to get her kids to eat their food at the table and, like, finish and not waste food, I think. Um, Very important 250 trip. I think in her defense, she's completely right to be like, you shouldn't be drunk and go to work at a hospital. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I was an old, maybe I'm old fashioned, but when I was young, scrubs burned into my memory that it is one of the worst things you can do as a doctor is show up drunk to the hospital. You needed scrubs to teach you that? <laughs> How bad it was, yes. Okay. We're hugging and learning is what we're doing. We're hugging and learning. We should also note that Jamie Lee Curtis appears in this movie. She has the, the voiceover role of the alarm and the PA system, mm-hmm. which I find is cute. Mm-hmm. This is the point where she's working with Carpenter in this capacity. Obviously, she worked with him on Halloween. She worked with him on The Fog. But she does the same thing in Escape from New York the previous year, where she provides the voiceover introduction. In this movie, she is an actress who provides voiceovers. Yes, I like the idea because obviously she appeared in Halloween, which is in the movie. Because the movie Halloween exists in Halloween 3. Yeah. Exactly. So therefore, Jamie Lee Curtis is an actress in this universe. Yeah, and it's her. They paid her to like the the um, the the, alarm company. uh, Yeah, exactly. No, Connell Cochran commissioned those especially for the irony. It's O Cochran, Connell O Cochran. Is Is it? Yes. Well, keep in mind he was apparently even more Irish um, in the script. I'll see if I can find How it. How could it be? How could it be? I think it was Ocaran, <laughs> I think was his name was. Uh, <clears throat> like, there were several more um, syllables in there in the Nigel Neal script. Like, there's a wonderful quote here from, like, Tommy Lee Wallace, where, like, he's being interviewed, and the interviewer notes, Nigel's original script was also chock full of anti-Irish sentiment, though you ultimately toned that down in the final film. Tell me about that. <laughs> to which Tommy Lee Wallace replies, Oh, man, he just dumped on me. <laughs> They were the butt of his ridicule. For me, it was a British version of blatant racism. I shudder to think if he had been raised in the American South, what he would have done with that way of thinking and attitude. Jesus. But yes, we wrote most of that out. I think the biggest benefit of our rewrites was the shaping and toning of the villain Conal Cochran. The character was a success thanks in no small part to casting Dan O'Hurley. I thought he was a triumph. Conal's monologue about Halloween was mostly Nigel, but we took the nastiness out of it. In the final film, Conal doesn't look upon himself as a villain. He's doing a tribal imperative, something he feels important. He says, it's time again. Yeah. Great villains don't twist their mustache at the camera. They just carry out what they believe to be the right thing, which is what makes them scary. But I like the idea that the version of Halloween 3 that made it to screen is somehow more culturally sensitive than Nigel Neal's original draft. Sounds like Nigel's is a bad dude <laughs> yeah i mean he was like, making fun of an amputee like just earlier uh, yeah that's true it, is it azalea banks or iggy azalea azalea um, banks <laughs> yeah yeah I- iggy azalea has not launched a vendetta against the irish nation no <laughs> yeah. iggy azalea hasn't done anything <laughs> no, no no but do she, we sh- she made yeah. fancy <laughs> i mean since since then she her, the, she wrote a letter in support of Tory Lanez after he shot Megan the Stallion. Oh, what? incredible. Incredible. So. I, I thought the last thing she did was ironically uh, disappear from pop culture after she was uh, kidnapped and murdered during the events of the film Kingsman, The Secret Service. Um, 
but no. As herself? She doesn't appear on screen. But it, oh, okay. So she just mentioned, but they mentioned. Okay. Me- a lot of celebrities go missing and are presumed like and are killed during the events of that film. And, and one of them mentioned in passing is Iggy Azalea. Yeah, and wow. then she was never heard from again until she stood up for Tory Lanes or whatever his name is. Apparently, that creep. All right, so do we want to talk about the Irishness of the movie and the movie's <laughs> handling of Irish? It feels like we're the podcast. We kind of have to step into that gap as authentic arbiters of the Irish experience. But, <laughs> Kira Dean, do you have any thoughts about Conal Cochran? Um, <laughs> I see, on the one hand, like, the way that he's portrayed as this kind of like you, you, the English came over and like suppressed the true Irish nature, which is to leave the bl- the hills overflowing with the blood of children and animals, yeah. and, and his triumphant <laughs> yeah. like resurrection yeah. of, of of this horror yeah. is, 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 actually, is an act of incredible anti-colonial rebellion. On the other hand, it's an act of anti-colonial rebellion he inflicts on America for some reason. It's <laughs> like I understand that. <laughs> That America is in some ways, uh, you know, just Britain's child. And that's why they have such a Oedipal relationship with the UK and France, of course, the, the father they want to kill. It is about they killing really children. Hate- it is about killing. It's like and it's a perfect prank played on children, Dean. I, I think that it, he, he's not trying to get a colonial revenge. He just needs to kill a lot of children. And America is yeah. pretty big. <laughs> that's I, fair. I, I think numbers is a lot of it. <laughs> I, I Plus, do also... it's 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 anti anti colonialism for for the in, for the computer age too. So it's, <laughs> it, it's, that was that was Deborah against... Hill's other note. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, ne, ne, I mean... neo colonialism, where you know where. Yes, Andrew, that's exactly like what neo colonialism is. Cyber colonialism. Well, no, just just. Uh, <laughs> but the idea, the idea oh. of. Um, exploiting kind of other uh, countries and kind of like keeping them down because they're that um with them being part of the supply chain (laughs) like where does all that latex come from yeah and 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 are those people getting paid um i guess i don't know (laughs) i don't actually think that is and i think maybe there is something there in like there's a there's big like irish american kind of vibes to conal cochran where he's like I'm a rich man who has absolute power and I exist at the top of the social hierarchy. But let me tell you who the real oppressed people are in modern America. It's us Irish. We have to deal with you Americans and Yanks dealing our traditions. He would be an editor on Irish Central. And uh, and you know what else about 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 rich, uh, rich Irish Americans in the 80s? They also liked... Um, the blood of children <laughs> flowing in the streets uh, via their funding of the IRA. So, and also a really rich, powerful Irish American was, of course, the president at the time. Yes, let's talk I... about the Ronald Reaganism of this because this this is a movie that feels very much in step with kind of nineteen eighties Reagan pop culture to the point where like it's a movie about how television advertisements aimed at children are going to lead to the apocalypse. It's, yeah. It's, it's a free chucky. It's a Dan O'Hurley movie about corporate robots. Um, yes, yes, it is. Andrew, like, much like, like Robocop. Yes, he is the old man once again here. But like this, this is released. He is the old like, man. 
a year after Reagan has gutted the like Federal Trade Commission. So obviously during the late 70s, the Federal Trade Commission launches an investigation into advertising to children. It discovers that children's minds are like putty. They have no ability to discern between like programming and advertising. So it sets out to regulate those. And as a result, the toy industry decides to spend something like $16 million campaigning against the Federal Trade Commission. Um, and at some point, basically, toy manufacturers and food manufacturers kind of like jump in and get on the bandwagon with them as well. And they decide to basically gut the Federal Trade Commission. So while they're negotiating the terms of this kind of like regulation of children's advertising, Reagan is elected and Reagan's like, you know what? How about no regulations? How about you can just advertise whatever you want to kids with no no accountability whatsoever? And I think like it, it watching this movie, it's hard not to get a sense that that's kind of what this movie is about, in that it's literally about a killer advertisement. Like the the whole thing is like they're getting children to rush home after buying their silver shamrock masks, not to watch Halloween, which is apparently airing at seven p.m. They're watching the advertisement. That airs after Halloween, uh, which is incredible. It's a big giveaway. Yeah, it's a big giveaway. That's again the most capitalist thing. Reagan is the odd man as well. Like he's he's the uh, General Electric um, uh, guy, right? Yes, he was the salesman um, for General Electric, wasn't he? He was he was basically their pitch man in the nineteen sixties. Again, that kind of like consumerism uh, kind of creeping in around the edges. Well, not creeping in around the edges so much as taking the center stage. And again, the idea that all this is tied up in, like, post-Second World War America, industrialization, where, like, Cochrane just buys this village. And in California, like, again, the stereotypical 250 cliche, manifest destiny, end of the American dream, he buys this village in the middle of California and just decides to style it after Ireland, after the old country, and creates this kind of... But he doesn't hire any of the people who live there. Yeah. He, yeah, he creates yeah. an entire village to create unemployment. Like the entire yeah, point yeah. of the village is to create losers. It's to create drunks on the street. Um, yeah, for me, this is the flip side of the of the anti-Irish question because on the one hand, there is a sort of <laughs> yeah, the Ir- ancient Irish power being restored, rah rah rah. But then they're also betraying like a, an Irish immigrant as like this. <laughs> ultimate capitalist parasite who just like comes in sucks a ta- like takes over a town not like d- leaves everybody in the town except like one guy who runs a motel unemployed and then replaces them with workers he brings in from outside who turn out to not even be people like he's he's auto- he's an automating parasite who comes in so that he can <laughs> restore the lost glory of, of pre-Christian Ireland. It's the melody together of those two things. I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, Dean, but it is worth noting that his last role on screen in 1998, Dan O'Hurley played Joe Kennedy. That just jumped out to me for some, <laughs> some random reason that I have no, no particular kind of idea why that would connect to me there. But Incredible. I, I, I do think like that is very much what the movie's doing and obviously you have the androids in suits which are like the people being replaced in the thing like the zombies and they live it's it's that embodiment of like commercialism and consumerism where they're not even human and and those androids are just amazing i love some good prop work like clockwork men mannequins the fact that one of them sneezes they're so good he's really he's really into old-timey dolls 
Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how he got into this having robots for for working. The mo- the most advanced technology inside the robot seems seems to be wires. Like everything <laughs> yeah. else is cogs and gears and axles. Like There's just orange copper liquid. wires. <laughs> that's true. There is orange liquid. Yeah. yeah. It's my man- mango coolie. and and again the idea that this is is carpenter because again the androids were an addition made by carpenter apparently those were not in nigel neal's original script nigel neal was much more into like the um psycho the (laughs) anti-irish racism an army of monstrous (laughs) leprechauns in the original (laughs) script (laughs) and the like psychosexual daddy-daughter relationship between dan callis and ellie gimbridge we're like at the climax of oh yeah at the climax of neal's (laughs) At the climax of Neil's script, apparently Ellie was going to get turned into a child and would call Dan Daddy. Um, just in case, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe there were some good changes made to this script. So aside from taking all of that stuff out, which I think like Wallace describes as like a Freudian Oedipal nightmare, um, he basically... I'm sure he's dead, but is it too late to arrest <laughs> Nigel Neal for writing this script? <laughs> But um, Carpenter comes up with the idea of androids. He, like, they're suppose, his big if he pit. doesn't get paid for it, he also like we can't also arrest him oh, for it. Yeah, that, that's fair. He doesn't get any royalties <laughs> for it. We can't. I feel like it would be double indemnity or <laughs> double jeopardy. Yeah. Um, you can't prove I wrote that. My fingerprints are. I'm not even credited for it. Um, but like, yeah. <laughs> and again, it does feel a little bit like Carpenter's big contribution to this script is like him expressing how frustrated he is with the Halloween franchise, where, you know, this is basically about how men in suits are all robots with no humanity inside them whatsoever, who are seeking to, like, turn a profit no matter what, sacrificing children at the altar of mammon. But also, like, the idea of Halloween itself, the movie that he made in 1978 being used to herald the apocalypse, being used (laughs) to open the gates. Like, the central premise of this movie is they're showing Halloween on TV and it is the end of the world. I kind of, I, John, it's, it's John Carpenter's Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah. um, Remember when we were making Halloween and we worried <laughs> they would bring about the end of the world? I think maybe it did. <laughs> Deborah Hill just walks off and John Carpenter stares into middle distance with his big, beautiful eyes. Um... What about Joey? Do you want a space to just like let your? You, it feels like you've been very restrained. Do you want a space in which you can kind of just take a baseball bat to it, crack this open like a pinata? I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm being portrayed as someone who wants to shit on it, and I really don't. Um, that's not who I am. <laughs> I love horror movies. I love Halloween. I will say, I find the central relationship really creepy. Um, I think she looks way way younger than him. Every time I watch it, I think, why don't they just say, this is my daughter? Like, why do they have to be married? I found that really weird. There's a moment, very 70s-esque, where he pauses and asks, how old are you after they've had sex? And you're like, wow. And and she just says, old enough? No. older than I look. Yeah, that's even worse. She says, I'm older than I look, which is creepy. And then he accepts that as an answer. No follow-up questions. I hadn't really thought that much about, like, I had never considered she might not be legal until he asked. <laughs> well, this is the thing when, because obviously I hadn't seen it in a while because I don't like it. And <laughs> when I was watching it, I was like, I was like, oh, I'm getting a weird, I couldn't remember. I was like, I'm getting a weird vibe here. And then the sex scene, I'm just like, oh, 
And I adore Tom Atkins. He's he's wonderful. He got very excited once when I interviewed him because he thought I was related to somebody from uh, The Sting, whose surname was Kyo. And he was like, oh, well, he's dead now. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, OK, um, great. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think when it comes to the gore, I think like the beheading looks really good. The face melting looks really good. I think the first kill looks good but then when they cut back to the aftermath I think it looks a bit shit so but my biggest issue with this movie is that it has this bleak ending that you're not expecting but they don't go full force with it show us the kid deaths show us like I again it had been so long since I'd watched it I thought you saw those children dying I had imagined that in my head so when you don't I was so disappointed I was like, oh, it just hmm. cuts? Why not well, you, show us? You, Do you know what I mean? Could, because could, it... Because it, it is a shock could, when they when it goes fully bleak. Like, you do think he's going to save the day, 100%. I mean, he does ring and up then, a television company and go, no, I don't have any proof, but take it off the air right now. Um, and that's a great scene. It's a great, great ending, except that they kind of, to my mind anyway, they kind of lose their nerve. Mm. And I guess maybe the argument is that we don't know either way, and that's fine. I mean, but for me, I was like, no, show us those, show us those kids ending. That's my favorite. That's my favorite thing about the movie is is the ending. Um, yeah, and I think they definitely don't take it off the air, and all those children definitely die. But so, yeah, definitely, I left, think so too. But I, I think you're left thirty three percent of children, to be fair, because they do take it off the other two networks. <laughs> Oh, that's true. I do think the kids sit really close to the TV as well. That was something that really struck me this time. I was like, man, they're sitting close. But then the furniture isn't really arranged in such a way that you can see the TV comfortably. So I was like, maybe move some stuff around and then they won't sit on the floor right next to the TV. See, it's the 80s. Do you not do that as a kid? Do you not sit on the ground? Oh, yeah. I definitely did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did. Kids, kids sit that close to... That's a huge 80s thing. The kid's just right in front of the TV. And it is. It is. <laughs> well, that's Poltergeist. That's the poster That's the poster to Poltergeist, which is like Toe Pooper's Halloween 3. Um, sorry. I, I, I <laughs> sorry. think <laughs> the, the, the good thing is, is that in this day and age, you can just make a boomerang of the one kid dying. Um, and, and, and imagine that it's many kids dying. And, and well, they're all they're all wearing masks, so you only really need three children, three child actors, this and you true. can just put them yeah. in different settings. That's very well, true. They, actually. they do that during the montage. They do that during the montage through like Baton Rouge and Los Angeles, California. Um, but Kira, sorry, you were talking about the ending and how much you love the ending. I I just I just think it's great. Um, I I think that. You don't need to see it because you like the fact that you've seen one kid die that way. You know what is going to happen and what you imagine is is like worse and would be just seeing like a, a montage of a bunch <laughs> of kids dying. It is. <laughs> it's really funny that like. You know, all, all those kids die because CBS wouldn't pull the broadcast <laughs> or whatever. And it's also much less impressive that they're apparently going to get a 40 share <laughs> when we know that it's on all three stations at a time when there was three television stations. <laughs> um, but, I, 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 yeah. He was only on the phone to one television station, so he's going to get a 40 share off one, I think. It's fair enough. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. I love the ending because it's it's a 
punchline. Like it's I, it's like a really it's the really really dark punchline at the end of a really horrible joke. And the, yeah, it is. Fact, it's I love that. Like I just think it like I still I like I said I haven't like made up my mind how I feel about the movie, but the ending I was like all sold on. I I laughed I laughed out loud. Uh, because what makes it so funny to me is that at the end, the reason the world is, or at least America is destroyed is because CBS are acting like his nag of an ex-wife and not listening to him (laughs) on the phone. Like this is a film about the cosmic struggle between the heroes and villains of Reagan's America, the heroes, middle-aged, divorced, and the villains, the Irish. And the whole, the fate of the fate of of Reagan's America hinges on uh, people not listening to the divorced men. Like, that's why everything goes wrong, is because <laughs> of, when divorced men are on the phone, people don't listen. Just, just like in real life. It's so, so funny. <laughs> Can I, like, just to get back to the whole, like, this is Carpenter's Oppenheimer moment, he ends, <laughs> like, he ends Halloween 3, he doesn't end it with, like, Tom Atkins staring into middle distance, but Tom Atkins turns to the camera, he barrels the camera, and he shouts at the viewer, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. Stop um, it. As if to stop making these movies. Like, so, stop yeah. making Halloween the, movies, please. I feel, I feel it, it's a great prank um, for the late Cochrane, who, who, who loved the prank. <laughs> the late lamented um, Cochrane. Yeah. He did, he did. He did love pranks. That's his, that's his, that's how he made his name, was in pranks. prank yeah. field. Yeah. yeah. According to those, like, the most european representation of Americans I've ever seen. Like, they're like, <laughs> like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory fucking I mean, I, I, lo- I love this movie so much, but like one of Nigel Neal's big pitches was that it would take place in the month leading up to Halloween and one of the big changes it takes place in the week leading up to Halloween. I like the idea of all the salespeople who like presumably want to spend Halloween with their family journeying to a motel in the middle of nowhere to check out the new masks presumably for next year. Do people do people want to spend Halloween with their family? That's a <laughs> very a that's a very alien thing. Parents <laughs> to say. <laughs> parents want to get their children to bed so they can go out to a, the adult part of Halloween where things get freaky. You will be thrilled to hear Andrew. I have a whole section of the notes on that, but we're going to get to that in a second. Um the the ending the ending of the movie is apparently inspired by Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. The 1956 Don Siegel version, which is obviously a big touchstone for Tommy Lee Wallace and also for John Carpenter. Uh, basically, the idea was at the end of the 1956 version, it was originally supposed to end with that great shot where he's running through traffic screaming that they're here, they're here, they're here. Uh, but the studio made them insert an ending where he he goes to the police, explains everything, and they broadcast and explain that, okay, it's grand, the pod, the pod people have been dealt with, you don't have to worry about communists or aliens or anything like that, the government has your back. And so Tommy Lee Wallace was like, I hated that ending. I discovered later that it was forced on the movie, it was an injustice and would never have happened. So in the ending to this movie, he wanted to subvert that. He wanted to give you the ending that felt like it was giving you that Invasion of the Body Snatchers ending, and then just kind of yanks the rug out from under you as well. I do like that per Joey's conversation, per Joey's criticism of it there, Universal were like, so we test screened this movie for audiences, and uh, they had some notes. First one was, where is Michael Myers? We don't think we can fix that one in post. <laughs> second, second note was like, what is with the ending? This is a really depressing, really bleak ending. Would you mind changing it? And according to Wallace, and again, this is to Carpenter's credit, Carpenter had final cut on the movie. 
That was the agreement. As producer, he had final cut on the movie. But he basically called him and said, look, the executives had looked at the movie just before its release, said they're not happy with the ending, and would you consider changing it? It wasn't really within my power to say no. It was John's decision, really, because he had creative control. But like a gentleman and a dear old friend, he called me up and said, look, it's your movie. I'll back you either way. Do you want to try and change it, or do you want to stick with what we got? And it only took Tommy Lee Wallace a second to respond with, yeah, kill all the children. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of great and kind of speaks to the, the kind of Tommy Lee Wallace thing. But okay, fine, because we brought this up, the commercialization of Halloween. Like, it, I, I like that this is a movie that is basically, like, you guys have got it all wrong. It's not the commercialization of Christmas you gotta be worried about. It's the commercialization of Halloween, that great sacred American holiday. We've turned that into a festival of capitalism. Which I find kind of fascinating, because according to, is it Hallmark? Americans in America, according to Hallmark, it is the eighth highest ranking card selling holiday because of course there has to be a list in each of these episodes even though we're not covering the 250 mm -hmm. so counting down from oh. one to eight actually Come do we want to guess do we want to guess yeah. let's have a competition fam have a comp family fortune why would you send someone a halloween card they do them i used to spend uh halloween in the u.s all the time and they have everything you could possibly imagine they have halloween cards being like happy halloween to my dad, to my lover, or whatever. <laughs> They're really cute. My partner's so obsessed with Halloween that before Halloween, we put up a combined Halloween Christmas tree to last us until the new year. <laughs> and I've got you, I've got you beat. We keep up our Halloween decorations all year round, and we got married on Halloween. Oh, that's pretty. That's pretty strong. But like, my partner has never sent, or even I think thought of sending anyone a Halloween card. So this is just completely preposterous well, to me. Well, now they will. Okay. Now they will. Okay, Andrew wants to. Okay, Andrew wants to turn this into a competition, right? So uh, I, I suppose that will take a long time, right? <laughs> it's like set. okay, we'll, 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 we'll go around quickly and we'll okay. buzz out. People get buzzed out if they get one wrong. Okay, so I'm going to start with the way my Zoom screen works. So I want the seven holidays that are more popular. Or the seven days that are more popular than Halloween, according to Hallmark, in terms of cards sent in the United States. So, Dean, give me one. Christmas. Boom, easy. Joey. Valentine's Day. Number two, good call. Kira. Birthdays. <laughs> no. Unfortunately not that I thought I thought when you switched from saying holidays to days, I thought that was a clue. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'll, too, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a duo. Clearly I'll, not. I'll, I'll give you a duo. No, that, no, that was no, my fault. no, That's, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. out. Okay. Andrew. So we've had Christmas, we've had Valentine's. You got you know, come on, you can do this, Andrew. Uh fourth of July. <laughs> no, Andrew, you are out. Okay, it's between <sighs> Dean and Why didn't I say I uh fuck, I know my answer now. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I ought to have said. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Dean. Thanksgiving. Yes, that's number seven. You got that in by the what skin I of your teeth. Said. Thanksgiving. Seven. Okay, that's so weird. Joey. Okay, so so far we've had Christmas, Valentine's Day, Thanksgiving. Can't even think of another holiday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Patty's Day. <laughs> no, Dean, you take the prize. You've won. The other they got us again. Can I guess, <laughs> guess the rest quickly? Okay, guess the rest. Yes. Dean is just like, let me dominate this round. Go for do it, Do it, do it. Easter. Three, that's number three. Oh, Easter. Yeah. Yeah, New Year's. <laughs> no. Damn it. Then, uh, you, you still asked an extra round. Come on, I'll give you an extra life. Come on. Hmm. This is great radio. 
This I have, I'm trying to get into the American mind, the <laughs> twisted American mind. Um, God, if it, if July if July Fourth's not on there, yeah. then like Veterans Day, I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> Martin okay. Luther King Day. No, Kwanzaa. Juneteenth. No, Hanukkah. No, uh, nobody really. I'm quite surprised by this. MLK. So, to be clear, all you've said Labor Day. All you have said is Chris. <laughs> All you have said is Christmas, Valentine's Day, and Thanksgiving. So you have four left to guess. That's so, Kira. Do you want? I can't even think of four things. Like I, like no. what is left? Okay. Easter. Okay. Mother's Day. Yes, Kira. Yes. yes. Oh my Mother's God! Mother's Day and Father's Day. Day. <laughs> oh, I love, I love that Andrew's like, let me ride on Kira's coattails. Father's Day. <laughs> okay, Grant. <laughs> And this is the one that I feel is a cheat. Graduation day is apparently six. Graduation. Well, it- oh, if if you can't do birth, if birthdays aren't allowed on the list, graduations. Are I didn't allowed. make yeah, the list. Crazy. I did- Same principle. It's also yeah. the only one that's lowercase because it's not an actual day. Um, but yes, it, yeah, the- it's it's kind of, it's the same time every year, isn't it? It's the same uh, month as Father's Day. They call it Dads and Grads, don't they? <laughs> Um, yeah, they they, they call it, they, they prom happens when Mother's Day happens. They call it pr- proms and moms, prom, moms. moms and proms. Yeah. Oh my God! I'm well, you will be thrilled to hear that the Halloween card industry, not the Halloween industry, the Halloween card industry, was valued at fifty million dollars in nineteen ninety seven. <laughs> By 2000, Americans were spending between five and six billion dollars annually on decorations and sweets. One of the big things I've read. Blood needs to flow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm becoming more sympathetic to the (laughs) the Dana Hurley perspective. Yeah, I. I think yeah. The more learning more about how Americans are, are in particular, are I I I I, I re- retract. What's when you take retract? There we go. I retract all criticism of him targeting America over uh, the Brits. Absolutely, we should like retracted. it was during the late eighties, early nineties. You started having like Halloween horror nights running through the month of October in American theme parks, uh, and very famously, like just to tie the first three Halloween movies together. There was in the second movie, there's a sequence about the razor in the apple. Mm. That obviously is a story that became incredibly popular in America during the 1960s and 1970s. There are two academic schools of thought in it that unify Halloween and Halloween Three Seasons of the Witch. In terms of Halloween, it represents the idea of America becoming increasingly racially integrated, increasingly like disconnected from neighbors, the skepticism, paranoia creeping into American life, the idea of not trusting your neighbors, which is a large part of like the suburban horror of the original Halloween, is your neighbors could be anybody. There could even be a serial killer there in this community that you have created ostensibly to protect your children. The way it connects to Halloween 3 is that it is tied, of course it is, to the commercialism and capitalism of Halloween. Because although there has not been a single documented case in America of a poisoning through trick-or-treat. The only cases that have been documented is a father poisoning his own son for insurance money mm. or a famous case where a kid found their parents' heroin supply overdosed mm-hmm. and the parents covered a chocolate bar in heroin to kind of like olay suspicion from themselves. Jesus. But apparently there's not been a single documented case in America where a stranger has given a child an apple or a bar and unwrapped chocolate, some nuts with a razor mm. or with any poisoning in it. 
But the reason why it persists, according to some academics, is because it helps drive the sale of candy during Halloween. Because you have trained a generation of young customers, trainee consumers. Um, I think our young customers, our young clientele is how Colonel Cochrane describes them on the call, to only accept wrapped goods, to only accept bars that come in the original packaging, to buy the brand chocolate bars and candy bars to hand out in Halloween and not to accept like apples or nuts or any of the things those non-sugar companies are pushing, which I find really fascinating just in terms of like the commercialization of Halloween and how much it is everywhere. And like, I think season, which is interesting, sorry, Kier. Are you, are you suggesting it's like a psyop or is this just a coincidence? <laughs> Professor Santino, who is an expert in this, has said, do you begin to suspect the folks at Hershey's might just be behind these rumors? We are a capitalist country for better or worse, and our major social rituals reflect that. Although we bemoan the commercialization of Christmas, we've taken little notice of the commercialization of Halloween, the Hallmark cards, the decorations, the growing distrust of homemade treats, which leaves Hershey's and Nestle's to make them. People no longer trust something that somebody made because it might be out to kill us, but our friends are Hershey's, observes Professor Santino. The holiday has been lifted out of our humble hands and into corporate Americas. Because like, here we bob for apples and there um, they they bob for Hershey's in, in, in corn syrup. <laughs> <laughs> um, in eggnog, surely. No, eggnog's Christmas. Right? Eggnog's Christmas. Uh, Corn syrup is all year round. <laughs> I, I think both those schools of thought are right. For the record, I think like if there is if there was ever a decade when when in America was like, what if we commercialized fear? It would be the 1980s. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Is there anything else we want to talk about with regards to Halloween three season of the witch? So Joey, anything in your notes you want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed already? That one guy's accent is atrocious. Which one? There are several of them, but the, the owner of the motel, I'm guessing? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he's the worst one of all. And it, it just grinds on me. I hate, I hate how they think we sound. And none of them can do it. In mitigation, when, when I went to America, they were so disappointed at how I spoke. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I wonder if these, char- if these characters decided, like, eventually that that's how that okay how do you want me to speak like this okay fine this is how i sound now. Um, yeah. to be clear i i don't want to credit like nigel neal with this i don't think this was intentional but there is something kind of interesting in the idea of silver shamrock being about plastic patties as it were well i want to know is why is he the only person other than um the drunk Connell? like no why is he the only person other than Connell who's who's irish like yeah, <laughs> there's a whole thing about the town being like a really Irish super town, super Irish, and yeah. there are these Irish facades and stuff. But only the motel owner and 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 Connell Cochran have Irish accents. All the other employees we hear from have of American or or at least like mid Atlantic accents. I I should make. Thankfully, I suppose, because we don't want more people doing it. <laughs> I should maybe not provoke Irish Americans, but I do feel like being in New York, going to anywhere that has like an like Shamrock's pub, I find the owner doesn't tend to have an Irish accent. That's that's what I was going to say. <laughs> no, I'm. The... I just want to know why that one guy is an exception to that. Yeah, I get, I get. Why, why is own? <laughs> I'd say it's probably because the people working on the movie were like, he's he can do it best out of everyone, which is incorrect. But what do they know? You so don't they know were if like, everybody yeah. else was worse. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> I, 
I think other people did try, but th- I guess it'd be hard. But I don't think they committed like he did. <laughs> he does commit. He does commit. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> I I want to echo like just Andrew's comments about the kills, like the eye gouging at the start and the bit where they pull a guy's head off. Yes, like I'm like I'm, bad, I'm here for that. Bad, bad choking technique when when they when they try to kill um Ellie, Ellie's father. Um, there, there's it, the man blowing himself up in the car is class. Yeah, yeah. He's so calm. He's so awesome. calm. Yeah, awesome. It's so good. And then the, the yeah, the, you you mentioned pulling the head off. That was rad. <laughs> that special effect with Marge is fucking unreal. Where like, the the bug like, crawls out of her mouth and into her. Ah! Yeah, sorry. It's so good. Um, Amazing. Uh, we yeah. should note, by the uh, way, that Marge is reading The Eagle's Gift by Carlos Cossonade, which is a book about shamanism in the 1980s. Oh. Reflecting the new ageism that kind of permeates the movie. I love that we haven't talked about the plot of the movie, which involves using Stonehenge. Stonehenge computers. <laughs> yeah. we, have not, we have somehow not talked about Stonehenge computers. The, so Dean or the, Kira, do you want to talk about The line about, because they, so early on in the movie, there's a news broadcast where they're like, a piece <laughs> of Stonehenge has gone missing and no one knows how. Um, and then later it turns out that they have this piece of Stonehenge that they're using to like run their their shit. Their supercomputer. And there's a little bit of stone shaving in every silver shamrock map. Yes, yeah, because it's, it's magic or whatever. And yeah. um, and just when he says, you wouldn't believe what we had to go through to get it over here. And doesn't tell us. That's I, my yeah. favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I just, it's Ain't just so funny. Yeah. Like. Uh, we, why not an Irish artifact though? Why didn't they steal like a piece of Newgrange? Well, because Nigel Nigel Neal probably doesn't know Stonehenge exists. To be fair to him, Newgrange. also in fairness, the first the first settlers of of uh, of Britain were uh, Britannic Celts. Like so, they weren't like yeah. quite the they were the same kind of Celts that went to Ireland, but they were. Uh, there were Celts, in fairness. Again, I feel also like... there was a lot of migration between these islands in ancient times. Like the word Scot literally means Irish. Yeah, the at one point the population of Scotland we just swapped. <laughs> yeah, just swapped at one point. The, the, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've made. I, I, I haven't still haven't one hundred percent made up my mind about this film. <laughs> I was hoping I would over the course of this discussion, but I think. I think for me, the, the, two, the two things that I'm kind of hung up on, because I think that, that it starts great and ends amazing. And what's in the middle that I struggle with is, I think uh, Joey said earlier that it does kind of like lag in the middle a bit. There is a sort of just kind of like wandering around the town <laughs> for long sections of the middle. But also, I don't have a problem with, a, with the plot being like kind of stupid. But I think it was when... He drops the 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 coins that, for the record, are infused with the magic of Stonehenge <laughs> just by you rub some dust from Stonehenge on them. And for some reason, you needed a whole block of Stonehenge <laughs> when just a bit of dust suffices. But anyway, when he drops, they needed the- a lot of dust because because they have a lot of the math. They've got millions of kids. Yeah. Okay, but but when he does that, when Atkins does that bit where he drops the um the the seals of the company <laughs> that 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 contain mm. the evil it, magic computer into chip the inside. Circle. Circle into the little circle of computers, and then I it love. causes what? some sort of ritual laser <laughs> circle to form over the heads of the dead androids. Listeners cannot see, but Kira is like applauding. That's the best. And then fires a laser from that circle at the 
Stonehenge bit through Cochran's head, and I'm like, what is going on? Well, you see, they set up that the the little thingies create a magic laser (laughs) because earlier you see what happened to Mark. Your one got got Marge got lasered in the face. I'm all okay on that. It's the circle, and then the circle itself (laughs) produces a second laser that connects to Stonehenge directly through (laughs) Connell's skull. Like, well, I. I think the fact that they're made from Stonehenge magic, it makes sense that they would like you know connect to Stonehenge. Be home, yeah. I I but it's a, they're powered by blood sacrifice, and it blew up. They killed androids. Like there's no blood sacrifice happening. Why is because that's 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 an abomination, Dean. Those androids are an abomination, is what they are. Yeah, if they I had that you orange stuff, that, that could be blood. If if you tease them with fake blood. It just gets them more angry. <laughs> yeah, they just get upset. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think it yeah. just if, uh, just uh, one or two notches less stupid, and I would have <laughs> no. I would have. I would have far that fewer qualms about whether I think this is good or not. Can, can I just? I just want to single this out. I okay. I bought it hook, line, and sinker, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, no notes. Um, and also no notes from me, and I think no notes from Kira as well. But I I I, I think. The worth noting, we've every Halloween movie we have noted a completely gratuitous wonder, a scene that is incredibly technically impressive that does not need to be. So in the first movie, it's a sequence where like Loomis like talks to the sheriff, and then you see Michael drive by in the background, and it's like that is a much more technically impressive shot than it needs to be. Mm. In the second movie, after Carpenter has cut a half hour out of the movie, he does a single long take that provides all of the exposition to explain all the stuff that you missed, and it's like. It's an efficient way of getting through that, John. I really admire it. Um, and in this one, there's a really impressive, like, just technically, like, a oneer where Kundi, like, starts on the stairs. It's that sequence that Kira mentioned. It's the, you won't believe how we got it here. Or, oh, a magician shouldn't have to explain. You'll figure it out. But it begins on the stairs with the Hurley. Sorry, with, with Cochrane. And then the camera pearls back and whirls around the set and kind of intercepts them after they've reached the bottom, follows them to the big stone, follows them to the small stone where they're doing the chipping. Where O'Hurley, he delivers all this exposition and does a bit of like handwork with the little magnet seal <laughs> and then follows him back into the center of the room to look at the monitor. And it's like, there's no reason for that shot to be as intricate as it is. It probably took you far longer than you needed to to get that. But I admire, like, it's it's just impressive. It's the level of craft that separates Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, from many of its other slasher movie contemporaries, um, I would argue. And then just very briefly, the opening credit sequence, which I love. I think the opening credit yeah, sequence is great. great. Like, again witchcraft in the digital age we're doing the halloween pumpkin thing but with computers what if witches and computers famously they rendered that sequence they animated that sequence in computers which was cutting edge at the time it was the same special effects house that was working on the thing and the problem was they could not render the static apparently wallace was like yeah but i want some static on the screen as well to get that proper video effect and they were like we can't do that we just we built an entire program <laughs> that renders in two dimensions a computer generated like pumpkin what more do you want from us so what they did was <laughs> they hooked up a recording of the computer doing that to a tv and just shook the wire and the antenna <laughs> in order to like get the signal to kind of break and fragment which is like a nice. wonderful low-tech solution to a high-tech problem and then Finally, final, final note on this. Uh, it is worth just the uh, 
the masks in the movie because we haven't talked about those masks and they become mm. something of a cult reference. They do reappear in Halloween Ends. I think, sorry, Halloween Kills. Kills. I think you can hear the Shamrock theme in Halloween Ends in the background of one of the shots as well. Uh, but it's, And they also use the credits, the same credits. The same credits font as well, which is cool. But also um, the masks... And again, this gets into the, as Dean said, Halloween, is it for adults or for kids? The masks from this movie were sold for $25 a piece, which priced them out of the children's trick-or-treat market and was aimed squarely at the adult market. 13 to 35-year-olds said Don Post, the head of Don Post Studios, the most successful mask studio in America. Apparently, they'd been working on Universal Monsters since the 1960s, but they really broke into the market with Planet of the Apes in 1970 when they licensed that from Fox. And apparently, um, this movie was made so cheap that, like, Deborah Hill just went to them and said, look, we have no money to pay for this. And Don Post was like, it's fine. I will take the merchandising rights. I will make you these masks. You will put them in the movie. And then I will keep the copyright on the masks and then sell them for a massive amount of money, which is incredible. We asked Post, who'd provided the shape mask for the earlier Halloween movies, if he could work out a deal. He said, don't give me money. Give me the merchandising rights and we'll share in the profits, which I kind of love. I love that as well. Wait, he provided the shape mask? I thought it was a William Shatner mask. I, he may have painted it, it white. Like, I, I feel like his contribution... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah when he... Tags <laughs> <laughs> uh, But Joey, is there anything you want to say about the movie? Anything we haven't discussed already coming out of you? I think we briefly mentioned the score, but the score is just so fantastic. And that kind of, like, retrowave, like, horror goth stuff is so ubiquitous nowadays yeah. as well. Like, it was so influential. It's just can't... You can't... With the score, it's brilliant. The Stranger Things score is apparently heavily influenced specifically by Halloween 3, which I find interesting. Yeah, you can hear that. Not Halloween, not Halloween 2, but Halloween 3 specifically. Um, and we should also, I just want to note Vincent Canby's review in the New York Times because it contains one of the great lines. Halloween 3 manages the not easy feat of being anti-children, anti-capitalism, anti-television, and anti-Irish all at the same time. Ha. Put that on the poster. <laughs> Andrew, is there anything we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at you? Uh, the bugs and snakes jump out at me. They're, 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 <laughs> yeah. they're great. Yeah, yeah, they look great. They're very, very good. Don't know how that works either. I spent the whole movie convinced the masks were going to turn all children in America into mindless killers and kill their parents. Um, and then when it turned out that they just made bugs and snakes come out of their dead heads. So I, was like, <laughs> I, I, want, I want to get that straight. When they just made bugs and snakes, like that was the easier option. Like, like <laughs> Conal Cochran was like, I want one of two things. And they, the producer like, look, we can't get you killer zombie children, but we can, in the time frame available, turn them into bugs and snakes. He's like, fine, I'll settle. It, it does make you appreciate um, St. Patrick more. Um, for, for, for what he did after uh, uh, after they turned the, the, the hills red he, he he came and kind of sorted it all out that was going to be um, it was going to be Hall Halloween Halloween 4 Michael Myers still isn't in it with with with, with um, St. <laughs> Patrick coming and, and you know taking care of it uh, I've, I've, I've one uh, one comment to make which is that I noticed uh, watching it this time, why it's called Halloween 3, which is that they, in the advertisement, they refer to the mass as the Halloween 3. Oh my god, oh, that yeah. is incredible. Yeah. That yeah. is incredible. Nice. Do we know why it's called Season of the Witch? Because I, I know. No. Okay. <laughs> 
Because there's a famous song of the same name. Like that's why. Donovan. I like like Donovan is is, is the reason why this is called that. That's a fair point. Alright then, so that about wraps it up. Now what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests for a recommendation. It could be something related to the movie, something completely unrelated to the movie, just something that brings you joy in these uncertain times. We're getting ready for Halloween, so if you have any scary, spooky recommendations, feel free to cue them up. But to give Joey, to give Dean, to give Kira a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. The man who has the look of confidence, security, of a good recommendation. (laughs) Go for it, Andrew. I really don't know. I'm going to um, previously or in the future made some reference to the uh, Edith Wharton's uh, The uh, Age of Innocence. It's a, it's a, I guess it's a horror um, about (laughs) conformity. Um, Smooth. yeah. Um so um I I've 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 been enjoying that. It feels like very kind of I don't really relate to it, but it feels very true in the way that good literature does. Um the characters feel very um very real and um it's 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 terrifically well written and it makes you want to kind of um, speak better <laughs> um and, you, you know the um yeah so I, I i i've i've been enjoying that it's not really a a a halloween book um as such i believe there is a movie <laughs> that i'm looking forward to seeing uh, daniel day lewis michelle pfeiffer and winona Ryder. a great movie the, the movie rules yeah amazing yeah it's it's, it's pretty good it's a it's a great scorsese movie um, all right, so Dean, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Uh, I haven't watched uh, a horror film other than Halloween 3 Season of the Witch in a while, I'm realizing. <laughs> but uh, last year I did a whole Bell Lugosi, Boris Karloff thing. Cool. And so I, I'm going to, for, for, for the season that's in it, I'm going to recommend uh, The Walking Dead, which is a Michael Curtiz film starring Boris Karloff that is sorely underrated. And a similarly underrated Bell Lugosi film, uh, murders uh, in the Rue Morgue. Oh, uh, yeah, the adaptation which, of Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, yeah, which uh, a loose adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe, but but I think one of the best things that Ghost has ever done in terms of stuff I've actually uh, watched recently. I watched Cannibal the Musical, uh, Trey Parker's cinematic debut a while ago, and I just loved it. It's low budget nonsense, and it's fantastic. And I've had the songs from it on my on repeat on Spotify for months now. Uh, me and Kira recently saw Fun Home on stage, and we did. That's if you, true. If you can see it on stage, do. But honestly, they like almost all the plays and the the the, the album on Spotify. So listening to it is also not a bad a bad option. And uh, and the graphic novel as well. For for the real for the real Dean heads out there, I guess because this is very <laughs> specific. I recently listened to A Theory of Justice, the musical, a musical about the writing of John Rawls, A Theory of Justice, with the villain <laughs> with, with Robert Nozick and Ayn Rand as the villains, and I, it's top notch stuff. Highly recommend. <laughs> and uh, three TV shows that yeah. I'm just going to fire. Take, take off your veil of ignorance and, and watch it. <laughs> And just three TV shows that uh, definitely haven't gotten enough love because two of them nobody knows what they are. Uh, on Netflix, you got there's a three part miniseries, Balascaran PI, which is a Mexican detective series about a schlubby communist detective uh, who quits his job at uh, General Electric to become uh, a socialist private eye. <laughs> uh, you've uh, 
what is very racistly called uh, Thigh Cave Rescue on Netflix is actually a great eight-part uh, miniseries called uh, Tang Luang Cave Mission of Hope about the the Thigh Cave Rescue, but made uh, by a, a great Thai director called uh, Baz Pumperia and my old nemesis, who I unfortunately have to hand it to, Kevin Tancheron, the uh, the American TV director. They, they did a great job, and it's really good. And also, why is he your nemesis slash who is that? He, he's, <laughs> Joss Whedon, he's Joss Whedon's brother-in-law, and he got yeah. way overpraised for doing one-er takes, one-er action scenes on Agents of Shield, while James Bamford was getting no recognition for doing his one-er action takes on Arrow. So that's <laughs> my whole reason for hating him. And uh, it seems fair. Checks out. The, um, the last show is uh, the the Channel Four TV version of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. The yes. classic. YouTube web series, the Channel 4 TV show is so, so good. I was so sure they were they're going to completely biff it, but it rocks. It's it's just a really, really good, really good show. It's available on all four. You can check it out. It's great. There's six yes. episodes, am I right? Am I remembering correctly? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so good. It's so funny and uh, an awful. Like, <laughs> it's it's so great. I love it. And Kira, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, well, uh, if we're, since, since we were talking about a sequel, a sequel to a, a notable slasher movie. I I gotta recommend Friday the 13th Part Two, the greatest film ever made. Friday the 13th Part Four, the final chapter. Nightmare on Elm Street Two, Freddy's Revenge. Nightmare on Elm Street Three, Dream Warriors. Scream Two, Halloween Two, and of course Halloween Two. Yes, <laughs> to one of us. And um, <laughs> in terms of Otherwise, uh, I recently saw Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels for the first time, and also Snatch, and um, that guy Richie, he's going places. I would recommend <laughs> to, stopping now, there. I would skip Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say, now to take a big drink of water and, <laughs> and look up what guy Richie's doing now. Um, but yeah, they were both really great. Top tier ripping off Tarantino in the 90s stuff and i also watched the transporter which is uh like lots of grease wrestling in that i remember the the, the brief period in the early like pre 9-11 2000s where it's like there was this whole way that the culture was gonna go that got cut off and so like die another day is an obvious example but like the transporter is is like that aesthetic, but like good. <laughs> I, th- I think I think I think this is the second episode in a row that we've 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 mentioned transporter. <laughs> yeah, no, yes, it, it is. Was it not crank the last time? Crank high voltage. It, we we also mentioned. No, that... no. And Andrew gave a whole a whole section to the Lionsgate Plus, which is where you can watch all of these cause, Halloween cause, movies. Because J- Jason Statham has a scene where he. he um, where there is like slippery grease because I was defending. Oh yes, 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 you're right. I was defending Alien Covenant. Um. <laughs> you sure were, Andrew. You sure were. In our podcast about Halloween Two, which, if listeners have not listened to it, is a focused discussion with no tangents whatsoever. <laughs> so, um, that's why it runs two hours and three quarters. Um, but sorry, Kira, <laughs> cut you off. No, yeah, just the transporter. It's it's the. The missing link between Le Samurai and John Wick that you didn't know was missing. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, and Joey, what would you recommend? Oh man, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just off the top of my head. I'm gonna lead the reappraisal for another third in a series that I think is great. Scream Three. I love Scream Three. I have written many defenses of it, which is pretty sad. Um, but since everyone's reappraised Season of the Witch, I think it's Scream 3's time. Obviously, I think everyone's already reappraising the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, which they should because they're great. But no one's going to bat for Scream 3, and I'm going to go to bat for Scream 3. <laughs> There's also a really, really great uh, slasher mystery series on Netflix that Dean reminded me of because he was talking about Netflix called One of Us is Lying. That's really, really good. And I feel like I don't even know how it's still getting seasons because I don't know who's watching it apart from me, but it's great. <laughs> it's really, really good. And if you like slasher stuff, if you like whodunit stuff, it's it's great. Well worth a watch. I cannot give a, a recommendation on this one. Um, I'm just going to just state it as a matter of fact. In our discussions of Halloween and Halloween 2, we all lamented the fact that Carpenter seems to have soft retired. He's happy, you know, smoking weed, playing, you know, basketball, or sorry, watching basketball and playing Dead Space and struggling to get on a horse in Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> and more power to him. That is the retirement that I hope that I have. He has apparently announced today as we're recording this that he has come out of retirement. As if this was meant to be, his project will have been released yesterday. So you can stream it if you have Peacock, a streaming service that is not Lionsgate Plus. Um, but he has released John Car <laughs> John Carpenter's Suburban Screams, which is a five-episode miniseries that he is producing. He is directing one of the five installments. It'll be his first directorial work in quite a while. I have not seen it, so I cannot recommend it blind, but it does feel like you might be interested in that if you are at all interested in this podcast. Uh, in terms of just recommendations, look, 1982 was a busy year, and Kira, I am surprised that you did not recommend Friday the 13th Part 3, which released this year. Um, and outgrossed Halloween 3 significantly. I, the, the thing about Friday the 13th Part 3, I, I really like Friday the 13th Part 3, but also I feel like because I haven't seen it in 3D, I haven't had the full experience. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I'm just waiting. It's it, Apparently it's like a special kind of 3D that's like very difficult to project. Yeah. So the opportunity is unlikely to come along. But when it does... That movie might get bumped up a whole star. <laughs> Kira, Kira, you will be thrilled to hear that, like, as we talked about Jaws 3D, I believe Joey was the guest for that one um, a couple of years ago, and that was obviously in 3D. So I went to the hassle of buying a bunch of 3D Blu-rays and visiting my parents' house where my dad has his old 3D television, and I watched amityville 3d i watched friday the 13th 3d i watched oh coming at you i watched jaws 3d and let me tell you eh. um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah just quickly in terms of like movies being released in 1982 you know again blade runner the thing king of comedy poltergeist came out the same year like it's a big year for sci-fi and fantasy you've got dark crystal you've got wrath of khan you've got conan the barbarian um, it does feel like the shift to what if Stonehenge but computers is very much in the air in 1982. <laughs> so I would recommend all of those things, but particularly like I've been rewatching Carpenter as I go along because he's just one of the best directors who ever lived. The Thing is a masterpiece. You don't need me to tell you that, but just go, go watch it now. Shot by Dean Cundy. Looks beautiful. Could I actually throw in a 1982 movie now that I'm thinking about it? Go for it. Yeah. Uh, Sean S. Cunningham's 
completely forgotten follow-up to Friday the 13th, A Stranger is Watching, is an absolutely fantastic, like, paranoid stranger danger nightmare starring Rip Torn and Kate Mulgrew. Oh, wow. Like, it's so good. I don't know how that hasn't been reclaimed yet. It's like... Miss Columbo herself. It's so, so good. Sean S. Cunningham should should be trying to, like, get people to watch that more so they (laughs) respect him more. (laughs) Is Sean is coming in still, like, alive? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was producing the Scream TV show. Haven't, haven't been hearing much from him. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Let me just double check that to be sure. He is. He is still alive. He is. Born in 1941. He's 81. He's the, he is. He's at the age of 81. Uh, there was, I should, I probably shouldn't say this, but there was, like, an X-Files 30th anniversary convention in September. And I was like, all these actors are still alive. It was great, but I was like, all these actors are still alive. It was fantastic. Like, Jerry Harden is 93 years old, <laughs> and he's, like, showing up and being like, I am a Southern gentleman. And I'm like, wow, that is incredible. Good for you, Jerry Harden. <laughs> oh, uh, also, very quickly, uh, as we've been going along, I've been trying to recommend movies that in franchises with numbers that correspond to the film we're discussing. And I guess there's a new Exodus movie coming out, or it will have come out by the time I guess this episode is released. Uh, But I really like The Exorcist 3, or Legion. Directed by William Blatty, who's the guy who actually wrote the original Exorcist as well, and starring like Brad Dourif, for example, and George C. Scott. It's just a really, really great movie. It's probably the best movie in the Exorcist franchise, apart from the original Exorcist. So... Yeah, and, and I think um, I think Kira already mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors, the third Nightmare on Elm Street movie. That would also be a, a recommendation for a third movie in a horror franchise. Yeah. All right, so, Kira, where can we find you? People who have a bit more Kira Maloney in their lives, where can they find you? Watch out, watch up to. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I co-host the podcast of Sunday Presents, Sunday with an E, uh, with Dean, and you can read my writing on our website the sunday also with an e i'm chief film critic for current affairs and i've also written for fangoria and paste and crooked marquee and various other places on the internet and you can follow me on twitter at underscore kira maloney kira spelt uh correctly <laughs> like sam hey i know yeah yeah i <laughs> I recently received a correspondence where <laughs> I was referred to as Clara Maloney with an A. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty amazing to misspell both of my names when you've only seen them written down. Um, <laughs> but... Was it enough to make you steal a bit of Stonehenge and plot the death of every American child? You know, honestly, if 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 you... D- Dean, you, you, you read what it was and and you you would i i i read the whole correspondence and i suggested that the the author be banned from ireland on threat of being burned at tara so actually enough, weirdly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that just to, to prove that uh cochran isn't an unfair stereotype in some senses uh, dean where can they burn find them. you burn them all <laughs> the hills ran red with blood um but also, so Dean, what what are you at? Watch up, watch out. People look for a bit more Dean Buckley in their lives. Where can they find you? At Dean F. Buckley on Twitter. I also, as Kira said, I'm the co-host of The Sunday Presents, who's not her, and our website, thesunday.net. I haven't written on it in a while, but I have a lot of stuff on there. And if you wanted to find me elsewhere, uh, just there's just one. I wrote like 
a whole thing about how I hate the uh, Blade Runner is he an android debate for Bright Wall Dark Room like six years ago, and I stand by it. Uh, <laughs> it's a really, really good, really good article. I thank really you, enjoyed it. thank you. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm the, the, on. They should have punched his head off and revealed Clockwork Gears inside. That was the obvious solution here. <laughs> Sorry. But the movie, like, it's not even in the movie. I reject the premise of the question, is my main <laughs> thing. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Anyway. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that and Twitter. That's it. <laughs> and Joey. Jo- I think you mentioned you interviewed Tommy Lee. No, you interviewed Shauna at the Atkins. You interviewed Atkins. Yeah, I did interview Tom Atkins. I can't remember for what now. Were you overcome by his sex appeal? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, he's he was a gent. And then at the end I said, oh, like, it was such an honor. Thank you so much. And he got really humble and was like, don't be ridiculous. I'm just an actor. He was great. Um, I think that was for Wicked Horror. I genuinely can't remember. <laughs> but if you search like Joey Kyo, Tom Atkins, you'll find it. Um, but yeah, I'm still on Twitter. I'm not calling it the other thing. <laughs> at Joey LDG. Uh, so you'll find all my stuff there if you're that way inclined. Perfect. <laughs> no hatred of Halloween 3. I've never, ever, ever written about Halloween 3 and I never will. Perfect. And now we can put all that behind us because next week you'll be back again to join us to talk about Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. We'll be talking about that next Saturday. Is Michael Myers in that one? <laughs> let me check the notes here it seems like he returned it would be fantastic if there wasn't yeah, yeah what a great guy <laughs> like in that Friday the 13th movie it's just a guy dressed up as Michael Myers it's a music costume it's a post credit scene there's a serial killer and at the end Michael Myers just walks up to his dead body like, like Dom Toretto in yeah, Tokyo so Drift, drift yeah. <laughs> yeah he pops up at the end and the rest of the franchise just takes place before Halloween 4 um but thank you so much, Dean. Thank you so much, Kira. Thank you so much, Joey, as always. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank thanks you so much, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. This is a great yeah, time. thank you for having me.